Welcome to the Crash Cards Podcast. I'm John. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And today we're going to Copenhagen. I'm Ooh. sorry, what? We're going to Copenhagen. I have family in Copenhagen. I don't know them, but they're there. They're there. Nagel from Noggle. From, from the Noggle. They're How do you know they're there? Like the nebulous, well, they're I, over there. I would assume. I don't think the whole family, I only know of one guy. Like that would be my great-grandfather who left Copenhagen and then came over here too. To New so York. He had, oh. he had siblings, potentially. That uh, he probably had, you know, he had propagated so the line. Does your family know someone. people there that you don't personally know, but like your parents know? or your No, I'm assuming all of this. Oh. I mean, I guess they could have died in a horrible accident. How dare you bring this up? These horrible memories, <laughs> <Yeah>. imaginary <laughs> memories of my family. Right, of, that you don't actually have. That I, that I assume I do, but I don't know where. <laughs> From the Noggle tribe? It means nail, actually, in German. Actually, I, I'm, I'm making this up. Of course, my great-grandfather was from Denmark, but Nagel is actually a German name. So at some point in the distant, unbeknownst genealogical past, someone moved from Germany to Denmark. Surprise, surprise, they border. Well, also, I don't think Nagel was probably the name they came here with. It was probably the one that Ellis Island decided you should have. Oh, come on. That's only... Sometimes that happens. They don't always do that. Actually, no. Sometimes. A lot they of do the that time. a lot. A I, lot. Yeah. Especially during... Uh, pre- predating the 1930s. Was that a case with you? Storm? Yes. Storm was originally Strumlauf, and then it got shortened to Storm. That's that's phenomenal. It is. Don't ask me how to spell Strumlauf. I have no idea. Uh, y- you are required now. Well, I'll look it up and do it on the next episode. And I think that should be another AKA to add to your already very God, long no, intro name. Please. My, na- my intro is long enough. We don't need to make <laughs> AKA it longer. AKA IE. <laughs> Strumlauf. <laughs> AKA IE. Yeah, all right, maybe. What are we doing, John? DJ Strumlauf? <laughs> DJ well, That's we're, awesome. We're going, very big in Germany. We're going to Copenhagen. How are we getting to Copenhagen? Do we take a bus? Yes. No, you can yeah. walk there. Port Authority. From New York, you can walk Sure. There. You can walk anywhere. You'll get as far as Montauk, and then, well, you swim. swim from there. That's, that's I, I'm a strong swimmer. That's not, that's not right. walking at all. It, it's walking horizontally. I'm trying to picture that, and it's very... Convoluted. No, we're not traveling by bus, <laughs> train, boat, feet, or any other way. We're traveling by music. Uh-huh. Of course. Uh-huh. Of course. We're going to bring it back into the actual podcast. The reason we're here. That's Today, beautiful. we're going to be listening to Agecoin, an industrial techno band that was formed by two post-post-punkers. And post, was, wait, so not post, not punk, not post-punk, but post-post-punk. Well, actually, post-punkers that are just Former. done yeah. with post-punk. Yeah, in other words, former post-punk. 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 So they're technically okay, post-post-punk. I, I like it. it. It's a nice yeah. turn of phrase. It's alliteration. It's everything. The duo is Christian Emdel and Simon Foreman, who were both part of the band Lower, a post-punk band out of Copenhagen. So they stayed within the same label, but they still wanted to make music, and they came up with Agecoin. Um, I stumbled upon this, one of those, let's go through Pitchfork, let's go through Metacritic, let's go through everything and just try to find different sounds of music. And because I'm on techno kick, because I love techno, everybody knows by now that I love uh-huh. techno, but I like trying to explore different avenues of techno. And since uh-huh. 
and since you're gonna keep doing that, <laughs> yeah, aren't you? Yeah, and probably. since Deep Chord really didn't go over very well, uh-huh. I wanted, oh come on, that's episode seventy. He's outgrown it a little. Well, I wanted to find something within a similar, not the same, but a similar vein, something Fair that enough. was more towards the ambient side, lower edge side, something that was kind of low key and background, and on the industrial line, you find a lot of ambient music. No, that makes sense because you you know you have taken us to many different techno routes or electronic routes in general. Ever since then, you've taken us all the way up to Arca, uh, Mutant by Arca. You've also taken us to Two Changes by Beatrice Dillon and Rupert Claveau. And so, yeah, I think if you're not satisfied with Deep Chord, if you're I'm not satisfied I'm keep it with up that, that you old, don't. old yeah. ancient episode of ours, then you need to find some way to get back to that style, but through different avenues. Which is why I brought on Performance. That's the album we're reviewing today. It's only 38 minutes. It's actually one of the shorter albums that we've done in a while. We keep going for... 45 minutes, okay, that's kind of normal, but then we've hit a couple that are like 45 minutes, but two tracks with two changes. So we've done some weirder things that we've, I tend to err on the side of long, because long, a lot of times will say, well, there's a lot more here because it's electronica. There's just beeps, boops, and other noises, so long means that there's more beeps, boops, yeah, and other there's, noises. there's nothing as crazy about these particular track lengths. It's, it's standard fare for, I guess, club music in many ways, but also with the more artsy-focused club music. And that's when I first listen to it that's that it was a it was just meant to be i needed to bring it on because it was something that was familiar for me at least certainly for me it was familiar but definitely had a little bit of a different slant than what i was normally used to even though i'm basically on the spotify techno area constantly when i'm not listening to the music we're doing every week so I, I, I had to. Plus, I don't think we've really done anything this dark in a very long time. It is pretty. I dark. would agree. Like, I would, I would equate this to some of the feelings I got from Paper Chase, even all the way back then. Wow, that's uh, all right. I could, I could kind of see that. Um, in different settings, though. Right. Yeah. Very different settings. It's not the same setting, but definitely the same emotional trauma, as it were. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. So we're gonna be traumatized. Get ready to get traumatized. But first, let's get ready to get enchanted, because this is another one of those bands that has w- glorious liner notes. It just, it begs to be read. It doesn't hint too much about the work, obviously. It's the kind of thing that you kind of piece together in retrospect after having listened to the work. But, well, we assume you have all listened to the work, so let's do this properly and just in, indulge in this shameless piece of self-promotion, which I assume is written by Posh Isolation, and that's the label. Uh, it may be written by them, it may be written by someone who really likes them within the label, but we, we don't know. Let, let's see what you think of this, because I'm pretty fascinated by this this setup. H-Coin's newest recording, Performance, drenches industrial-infused techno in high-definition details, divining a cracked bump and flex from the condensation of a joyride. With a handful of tapes on posh isolation, as well as an album on Luke Younger's Altar, Christian Emdahl and Simon Foreman have developed a project whose momentum and reputation has steadily escalated, finding common ground between electro-acoustic methods and quantized club nights. Both Emdahl and Foreman are best known as members of Lower, R.I.P., it says, so apparently they, they miss their old band Lower, and both have since continued to devote themselves to a series of projects in the band's wake. Emdahl has lately pivoted his time around Marching Church, a band comprised of some of Copenhagen's finest, whilst Foreman has been working under the guise of Yen Towers, releasing his debut 12-inch on Pass Isolation earlier this year. Trespassing on intimate territory, says Emdahl of their newest recording, Agecoin cuts a transparent path for everyone to come walking. 
The album is ultimately a joint effort to process past as well as present experiences within father-son relations. In order to make things tangible, scenes are drawn from memory and merged in a shared fictional collage. Performance thrillingly presents Emdahl and Foreman in a new cryptically lush aspect. There is a sense that one is watching a slideshow. Familiarity motions like the tide in the form of acoustic instrumentation and porous synthesized terrains are crossing with a feeling, not a map, nor of memory. As one watches, the creeping ambience comes to be less an invasive sensation and more of a gravitational pull through time itself. It's as effortless as it is disorientating, like being stalked by a relic. Propellants ascend into the foreground from all directions. Rhythmic NO2, that's nitrogen dioxide, uh, rhythmic NO2 afterglow comes in waves in reverse, weightlessness induced and rebound. Take in the view or let yourself be a part of the language. Let the engine run and dip into the swampy collective intelligence. Performance is a hybrid memorial for all domestic actions committed in the name of love. That is so. That is Jesus indulgent, Mary and yeah. <laughs> Good night, folks. I mean, that said everything. We're gonna go home. See you next week. I've read some whoppers, but that really takes the cake. I mean, this is it's promotion, so of right, course of you can know they're gonna wax eloquence, and yeah. I, one wonders exactly how much can be gleaned. Like it's electronic, because you're not gonna get lyrics, you're not gonna get the same themes. But I was pretty uh, interested in the father-son relations aspect yeah. because that's not something that I at all had picked up, except for no. perhaps the one little thread, and that is the term domestic, which is a right. repeating theme. There's a title, domestic one, and domestic two in the album. So I don't know. If that concerns uh, threaded, you know, father-son relations. But they also said and they built imaginary collages, which means not all of the information being conveyed is factual emotion. Some of it is concocted, mm. which is interesting as well. Well, I think from that mouthful, we should go on to the album cover, which uh, it, it looks like knotted cloth, but I can't make make much out besides that. It looks like a, a gray rag and a. Green rag knotted together. Oh, it's no, on, it's, it's on a it's needle. It's a green and green rag. Uh, it's, it's, just, it's 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 it's, it's yeah. one rag, multiple colors in knots. Yeah, with but stripes. What's really interesting about the color in this particular the color scheme is that it actually looks like it was colorized after the fact. Yeah, like or like it was, it was just a, gray, and then they colorized part of it into uh, green. Well, or if not that, then maybe some of the very earliest forms of color photography that mm -hmm. were around maybe well before Kodak had eventually developed their, you know, Kodachrome and Technicolor. That stuff all came around in the 30s, which is when it really started to develop. But there were experimentations going on earlier, and you can find these very, very rare samples of color photography by a few isolated, you know, uh, inventing entrepreneurial photographers and they did things around like 1900 there's a series of stuff that was done in Russia also some things that were done in France and this just it has that that look to it that makes mm -hmm. it feel like it is not this picture was not just taken it also has an after effect on top of it where it's like looking through uh, ice or glass that's been crazed, something that's distorting there's, the image itself there's a blurriness to and, and streaks of light or smearing so yeah, it looks like it's behind. an after effect kind of reflection from something behind the photographer mm -hmm. itself. And I can't shake the feeling that even that is a product of everything that I just said because a lot of times they would have to do very long exposures in order to get that kind mm -hmm. of effect. So you'd get the streaks. It's at the end of the day though, I'm actually I'm really nonplussed by this album cover. It doesn't really do anything for me. I mean, it doesn't convey anything other than the kind of ominousness that we do get in the album. I can see that here. There's a lot of negative space around the knotted cloth. And so, 
we do get a lot of space in this album, so I think it's something reminiscent of that. Maybe. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll clarify to say that I'm I'm moved by the connection that I just drew from it because yeah. I'm fascinated by looking at color photography in that that era. I sure. mean, it's it's an era that they're all dead. They're all dead. That's it. You're not going to get around that. You know, the things that were done in the '30s. At least you have that connection. It still feels like it's within a. It can be within a generation. Uh-huh. But so I, I'm moved by the format. But what I'm not moved by, interestingly, is its connection to the title because mm-hmm. you can't help sometimes but connect the title of pieces with their right. album cover yeah. and I, I don't see this and feel performance it I feels like performance is is a separate thing like the, that's an abstract title for something that they're about to approach on the album that maybe analyzes the prospect of creating art itself and yet everything about this cover says narrative it says that this is a symbolic, uh, a symbol that this particular it's piece meant of to cloth, mean something. yeah, a piece of cloth, you know, that was someone uh, passed down to them. It's it's dear for some reason. Yeah, I, I'm I'm unsure what to make of it. At first, I thought it was like an old rag doll, like because a lot of older rag dolls are like knotted ropes and stuff like that. Like I thought it might be something like that, but it's not. It's not even like a voodoo doll or anything like it. It doesn't really seem to have any features. It's, uh, it's, uh, I hate to say it, but it, it, I feel like I've seen this sort of album cover uh, a thousand and one times, especially in the more independent label scene where you just take a picture yeah. of an item and throw a filter on top of it to give it an effect. I guess, but the, mm. looking at the more I look at this picture, the more it looks less real. It looks more fabricated, like the whole image was created, and that it's not actually an actual photo that was colorized. I would say it is, only because when I zoom in very, very Closely on the uh, you can make out the stitches. That that seems like it would be very challenging for an artist to do. But uh, then again, you know, artists can do anything. (laughs) 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 All right, let's. uh, I'm not. I'm not as nonplussed. I will say that I I would defend this album cover, but I think that its problem lies in its connection to the album. Uh, But we also haven't touched on the album yet, so let's let's maybe try to reconcile the cover at the end if we if we could do that at all. Um, I don't know if we're going to be able to, but let's see if we can. We almost never bring up the cover after the fact. Let's charge into track one. Uh, track one is called Esprit, and it's an interesting title because Esprit, it's not a word that I hear a lot, but it does have a definition. It's not just concocted. It means the quality of being lively, vivacious, or witty, which is funny because this did not begin as Three, either of those things. It wasn't lively, it wasn't vivacious or witty. It was deathly ominous. Now, I I have actually a little funny story behind this. I first listened to this album on the express bus. And what's interesting is that for the first half of the track, I had to double check and make sure that I had actually pressed play. Because the sound effects were at first difficult to distinguish from the actual sounds of the bus engine. And the reverberations, the external city sounds, other car engines, distant construction equipment, a lot going on. Also, the subway was running directly underneath the street that I was on at the time. And... I couldn't raise the volume any further than it was already at because phones, tablets, they're, they're topping out at much lower levels these days. And I guess it's because they want to protect my ears or something. How dare they? I didn't want that at this point. I wanted it to be louder, to overcome everything else. But I got a better listen when I came home. And it, at first, it's just kind of a low whirring or a buffering sound. But with that signature diesel bass, which is what made it kind of blend with all of that other stuff going around me on the express bus, you sometimes hear the sound in a very distant Mack truck. Just like that, that flapping sensation that is on a highway that could be anywhere of up to three miles away because that, that really carries quite considerably far, that sound. And it just feels like a, some kind of extrapolation of that, that texture. Yeah, for me, that sound 
in the initial instance it started, it sounded more like a cat purring to me because of the kind of vib- the concurrent vibration. It's a very different direction. <laughs> right. But then after that, it only sounded that natural the first time I heard it. Every time it came back, every subsequent time I heard that rumble, it didn't sound like a cat purring. It yeah. sounded more mechanical. More industrial. And to speak to uh, Steve's imagery, which, uh, by the way, I love, I applaud. Uh, you <laughs> well, also the did... imagery was handed to me. I was on the bus. It was yeah. what I was staring at. Yeah. <laughs> Additional things that show up, such as like almost a dialing in effect on voices that, that show up as just snippets, barely syllables, barely anything more than just random radio waves. Um, also will definitely lend some, some credibility to that picture you painted, that it's, it's sort of an, you're in a location where industrial things are happening, where there is actual people, there are things going on, there, are, there is machinery, but it's significantly distant from you. So like middle of an airport field or something like that, where you can't hear anything distinct or anything close to you because it's all taken part a quarter mile away, a half yeah. mile away, a mile away. But those sounds will carry in open spaces like that. And it's like they they plop down a microphone in the middle of one of these airports. Well, one of the reasons why I say half the track, or maybe even a little less than half, is because it does start growing in intensity. I think some things, I'm not going to go so far as to say they get crisper, but the volume overall is increasing. And I, I do think that it gets steadily more cacophonous as it progresses. You hear everything from metal clanking to those little voices in the background and, and just a general increase in volume. So by 50 seconds in, you have a few steady pulses going on that are starting to turn this into, I guess, more of a musical experience than just an experience, you know, of of things and and sound bites. Like, you'll hear a metal door being shut, or what sounds like a metal door being shut, and then also a warm bass pulse. And both of of those things are regular. They they occur in, in phases, and after a while, you can kind of groove along to it. But what's interesting is that they don't keep that going for more than what seemed like maybe a minute, maybe even less than a minute. I'd have to actually say about 30 seconds before it starts getting displayed. No, you're right. It's it's 30 seconds, yeah. It's the pops and that sort of wooden slam that starts supplementing what those things were doing and and not really reinventing the wheel here, not really reinventing the beat work, but displacing them, pushing them to the side so that you're getting a, a different lead now on the piece itself. But also undoing the musicality a little bit. Like, it starts getting more cacophonous after that point. What had been regular, they start undoing. And then you have to wait until the, the next groove starts. But it's always they go into it, then they step out of it. I mean, upon initial listens for me, it did feel very erratic up until about many, a minute and 30 seconds. But as I listened to it more, there was musicality in it because it did loop back on itself. It just, at a more micro level, did feel very random. But at a macro level, it does seem to come back to things it was doing, which is why I think you kept finding a rhythm and then losing it again. Well, the one big piece was the bass thump, and that Mm -hmm. did stick around long enough. Even though it does warble in and out a little bit, its pitch changes and its volume intensity does change. And that is an effect I really enjoy on this piece. Everything else is getting eclipsed after a few moments, after 15 seconds, 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Something is going to be eclipsing something else, like completely blocking it out and supplicating it. So we're not really staying anywhere, but at the same time, we're not really going forward. Everything is just changing. Our scenery is changing around us without us ever really taking a step forward in this track. Well, 
You know, I did liken it at one point to sort of a canvas for freestyling. And I think because the can the canvas is your is your, is the thing that is consistent. That's the thing that kind of sticks around. You don't I don't think I'm ever taken out of this environment at any point, but the freestyling does change. And if that's your focus, then it's all going to depend on what you preferred. Like if you preferred that 15 second thing that they did earlier, well, don't don't get used to it because it's probably going to change up a little bit. It's still subtle alterations. Like there's not these giant shifts in in tone texture or uh, <coughs> or rhythmic approach but you might get a sense that because the canvas is consistent the freestyling is consistent as well and that is simply not true yeah the faces it goes through while like i said i don't feel like we're traveling anywhere the scenery itself does does change in hue at least uh it's it's almost to go back to my visual metaphor of the eclipse, it's almost as if the the lighting in a room is changing as you're watching it. A, a mm. sped up sort of progression of a full day or a full night where sometimes you have the billboards on, sometimes the streetlights are on, but they go out and then dawn rises and then you have the, the yeah, angle of can, light going in there. You can but do. the room itself <laughs> is not changing. The actual basics of what we're doing with here over this three minutes, 15 seconds doesn't doesn't change at all. After we leave the the big open expanse to get a unified idea. Well, what I was just going to say is that I I think you could probably spend, you know, dusk till dawn, you could relate imagery to this track. You know, you could relate it to light. You can relate it to scenery. You can relate it to so many other things. And I think we'll probably be circling around the, the consistent uh, canvas, like I said, the, the general <laughs> approach of industrial sounds, which I feel like we have heard before. And I think that's where some of this as an intro may get a little bit lost in the pack. You know, we have done Kang Ding Ray. Uh, we have done Mutant and Tim Hecker. We've done all these things that kind of approach this from different angles, which is why maybe just from our point of view, from our lens, then it was tough, at least this early in the album, to see what was separating it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think for me, the the sounds themselves, the individual notes, the tone of the whole track felt familiar in the sense that I've heard something like this, I've put and put in this place before. However, I did enjoy that it does pick up a little bit towards the end, and that's the only time where I feel like you're traveling a little bit, but it's like moving around a small space, not actually moving to a new space. Yeah, so I'm still in inclined to agree with you, John. I just think that it does pick up a little bit of pace, like almost like running in a circle in a room or something. For the last 45 seconds or so, where mm -hmm. it's focusing just on the, uh, the I, I want to say hi-hat kind of a... Of a, of a sound and the wooden sound from earlier. Tapping of some kind, yeah. Just focusing on this, losing most of the other beat work, especially that bass, did did change up that texture, but because it was so married to what had previously been done, where it's not the exact same rhythm, but it's a familiar enough a rhythm that we're we're, whole, we're we're safe. We're not really going anywhere. The general themes, though, did feel dark. Mm -hmm. While I wasn't afraid or anything like that, they were definitely... Uh, something from the night side as opposed mm -hmm. to something from the daylight it was it was oppressing but the like the best way a comforter can be oppressing it was comforting at the same time all right yeah i'm on i'm on both of those pages but for very different reasons <laughs> one for instance i believe that going back to what i said about some of the other albums we've done i I believe this is darker than most, but one of these definitely was is on par, and I think that is the first track off of Solon's Ark by Kang Ding Rei. Mm -hmm. That was an equally dark track, and I think we were struck by it in many in much of the same in much the same way. And so I don't think it's it's really all that different, except for well, and this is the second part, except that I kind of 
tainted the well a little bit in terms of, you know, my experience with this because the first listen happened to be on the express bus. So then when I was sort of watching everything take place around me, darkness really doesn't sum it up if you're going through like a city type experience. That's not darkness. It's simply busyness, you know? It can feel oppressive at times, but it also can be entrancing. And I think, yes, at times, absolutely 100% comforting. And so the darkness really had melted away at a certain point. I mean, remember in the beginning, I'm not even sure I really noticed the darkness because I was all just blending in perfectly. And then I got a sense that, yeah, there's definitely an undercurrent there, but it all kind of came right back around again, that this was just some sort of reflection of scenery, which at times can seem bleak, and at other times can just seem like the natural processes of a given environment. It can even sound like progress, if that's your if that's your lens. Yeah, I don't think we really get a sense of darkness until the later parts of this album, um, but there's definitely an allusion to it here in the beginning. Or at least a thickness, or at least like a malaise showing up, something off in the distance definitely showing up, especially because of the visual distances that we seem to be getting with this piece itself. It's There's something definitely in the backdrop. So let's see what starts showing up in track two, Raptor. Well, first off, livelier beat. We actually get a beat yeah. right away, and... Uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not pounding away monsters or energy drinks or something like that, <laughs> but it's definitely a, a bit of an energy boost after that first piece. I mean, it's it's more fast-paced than the first piece, and the taps have this kind of hollow, almost physical feel to them. Uh, when they speed up, it's reminiscent of stuff we've talked about on jo- Joseph Bertolozzi's record. This kind of physical tone that's manipulated electronically, so it sounds. Unreal. Okay, so, I, I can definitely yeah. hear that because it is a little bit more playful, I think, mm-hmm. in the freestyling. But beneath that, you have, I think, the the overall backdrop absolutely is more club-oriented. You mm-hmm. know, the first track, yeah, certain clubs, certain clubs, but this one would appeal, I think, to a broader audience. You can hear this caliber material down in the Lower East Side, those little cool little holes in the wall. But then 58 seconds is where this... this really grows on me. This was like the first aha Same, moment for yeah. the album because 58 seconds, the the mood, the best thing about the mood of this track as of this moment is that we've added a new layer. This, what I would call kind of a humid feel, a, a, a pulse that just lingers in so much reverb that it might as well be perceived as an omnipresent drone. It's like clanging metal in a damp cave. It also swallows up all of those other industrial components from the previous 58 seconds. So they're still there, they stick around, but they're they're scattering about and they're purely rhythmic. They're not the, the focus. They're no longer the mood until, interestingly, two minutes and 15 seconds where this other thing, this this humid feel, has suddenly been dropped out. But you get a lot of time there between 58 seconds and 2 minutes and 15 where I kind of wanted it to go on for forever. Like, I almost had that sensation for that time because I just loved that, that rich, humid feel. Almost any echo that you could hear in a damp cave. Well, Something in the tropics. It, the echo actually is a, it's a good counterpoint to the almost like record restarting effect that that first minute did actually contain with a lot of scratching, a lot of uh, impurities in what the recording was actually presenting us. So when it does get this this heavy bass shift to, I called it like, the, the, the echo became almost like a distant whistle uh, that just kept coming in waves over and over and over again, sort of like a factory off in the distance other side of a mountain but you can still hear that echo because the valley comes all the way around Mm. like it was one of those really far off but you could hear that it might have had a piercing noise to it and that was very very interesting because as it it kind of displaces and it's ignoring the beat but at the same time it's becoming the beat and this combination was was a cool combination 
what and this change it's it's great i thoroughly love it and i'm with you this can go on for a nice long piece and a minute for it to really just sit with you it's a great time for you to really enjoy it and get into it but what it evolves into at that around that two minute mark it really feels like it fulfills itself it, it really feels like it actually is fleshed out and really built upon so the rapid decay that occurs right after that where it becomes almost a scattered beat this as much as i loved it and as much as i know we both really were enjoying it previously here i'm i'm very not forgiving i don't like them taking me away from where i was but yet you said it had come to its natural conclusion that it had it had finished yeah, but where it goes, from its finish to where it goes, I was dissatisfied with. Well, that's the yeah, that's why the I, that's why word choice key, you know, you, you use the word evolution, and evolution implies that there was some blend in composition here. Really, all you get is the removal of a layer. Uh, and when you remove that layer, it is left kind of barren. You know, the cave is gone, it's a lot more closed in now, and we're just left with those rhythmic components, which largely lack reverb. And I think that may be part of the, the harshness involved in this. It's not it's difficult. <laughs> to hear by any stretch. You know, we, we heard things certainly on two changes that were harsher, where both Beatrice Dillon and Rupert Claveau were like actively trying to, to set us on edge. This is not the same kind of thing, but it was just very interesting to me that they, they next to other things on this album that seem to warrant, you know, four or five minute sections, things that they feel are, are tools that should be a consistent element. Then this one thing here, which felt like it could have, to me, instead only lasted a minute. I think... The important thing to talk about is to focus on, to kind of bring together what you guys are both talking about, is how it has this kind of thick, humid feel and then gives way to something way more hollow. And I think it at least has momentum in this track. I feel like we're going somewhere, though slowly. Well, I think, we oh, are going somewhere. We are going somewhere because there is kind of a... There is an overall arc here. We're only halfway through the track, if not even. But there's a transition. And the transition is where it starts to get kind of interesting because it's sort of a return to that, but in a very, very different way. So it's pushing forward here at 3 minutes and 11 seconds. This was... Interesting because, of course, we threw around, you know, the term ASMR, you know, a lot on two changes, and it was just one one noise. I'm not exactly sure what it was, but I would almost liken it, because everything else is just dropped out at this point, down to silence, except for one thing that almost sounded like squeezing leather, like like pressing against a leather couch, and that's all it was. Like kind of a, a, a crackle. A crackle for just a few seconds, and it, four seconds specifically, because at three minutes fifteen... We're back to the cave. It, yeah. It's it's full blown club environment here, and a little bit of a sexier environment too, because we just added the the slight additive of a chord change. That that's the only thing we added, because there was no chord change. It was just a single chord, a single pitch rather, at the fifty sec fifty eight second mark. But now here, all of a sudden, it's two chords. But even just that that simple thing, tension resolve, is really enough to bolster the mood. And so this is where it all kind of turned around for me, because in the real time, first listen of this, I was like. Yeah, you know what? I think it did kind of work for them to tease and remove this thing that I had liked and then reevaluate it here in a very, very big way. Well, I think, and I told John this when we were listening off air, the whole environment of this track reminds me of Omega from Mass Effect 2. This kind of club environment, thumping music, some people dancing, but for the most part, people are lounging, sitting around, talking business, having drinks. And I got a sense of that feel here, something that was alluded to in the first track. And I think these shifts kind of supported that environment. You know, moments it felt hollow and kind of empty of people. Other times it feels full, like there are a lot of bodies taking up space in the room. 
And I liked that kind of movement and as back a, and forth. And as a palate cleanser, that, that transition there that with crackle, the, the, rich, yeah. the crackle, the rich piece of leather, as I hear it, that it's almost solitary. You know, yeah. there's nothing. Like it's the only no thing there, yeah. The only thing, not even a person, just a microphone and leather. If, if I could uh, wax eloquence on this and tell you a little bit of a story, um, not a fiction, not a, not a real story. It's just a complete work of fiction. Never happened to me. But it's almost pretend you're a kid. Pretend you you found the ice cream man. You go up to the ice cream man. So we have a minute of anticipation. Oh, there's the ice cream man. You flag him down. You get your ice cream cone. It's exactly what you want. And then all of a sudden, they knock the cone out of my hands, and I was severely disappointed. Oh. Almost to the point where I'm just going, why? Why would I even get the ice cream if you were just going to take it away? When they give it back to me, it was that level of just happiness that it was back. It was just that level of satisfaction that I get my favorite flavor of ice cream again, that I'm enjoying it again, that I'm in the place where everything just feels solid, just feels delicious, just feels fulfilled and well-designed. So, yeah, I really don't like it when they take away my ice cream cone here. (laughs) But the fact that they gave it back was extremely satisfying and... Like Steve said, works to the whole of the piece itself. Especially because, if I'm going to keep with the ice cream, the decay at the end of this, where the beat kind of goes away and everything just becomes the (laughs) world. The truck is leaving. No, no, it's more of just the memory of how awesome that Uh, ice cream was. It's that last little, like, okay, maybe you got a little bit of a brain freeze, but the flavor is still in your mouth. You still get that kind of satisfaction from enjoying it. And it's, I like the way they let it just trail off and just decay down to just the last little wisps of that memory. It was all said and done. An extremely satisfying track at the end. But that was the key. It was, it was at the end that I truly enjoyed it for what it was. Well, yeah, this is a album so far that I think requires investment. It expects a lot of the listener. I think if you're not engaging in it in some capacity, a lot of this could fly past you as just noise or sounds. But I think to really get something out of it, you do have to go along for the ride. I think that this was a clever track. Even then, I would probably withdraw a little and say that it wasn't cunning. You know, that's a pretty, it's pretty standard fare, the, the, the bait and switch kind of mm-hmm. thing, the tease and then, you know, pull back. Uh, and I would say that as of Esperit and Raptor, this album was already, like, at the same time stamp uh, relative to two changes, it was already far more enjoyable than that album. This is episode 228, but yet nowhere near as cunning as that album when you consider the whole yet. Well, we, here we're, we're getting ice cream. <laughs> and in the next right. track, we get Domestic Part 1. Domestic and- Part 1. So this is what I kind of previewed before, and it, certainly there's something unique about these domestics. It's hard to relate it to narrative yet, right? We're, if we approach that level of abstraction, well, good, bully on us. But this is essentially a time for them to flip up the texture completely, mm-hmm. and it's uh, two very different styles you get in each of these domestics. The intro, at first... Matt likened it to having sort of shades of wilderness. Because you hear birds chirping faintly a little bit. It just feels like you're outside. But yet at the same time, I was also thinking, you know, because I I had listened to this on the bus again. And I thought, well, it's industrial. It's still industrial. I didn't even really hear the chirping at first because what I heard was the regularity of what sounded to me like a very old steam engine. The kind of things that actually aren't very loud. You know, they had low, low horsepower but a lot of torque, you know. But they would run at very steady, steady, smooth cycle. And that's what I hear distantly in the background here. It's almost, for me, it, it was more, 
a water dripping on plastic or something like that, maybe on a tarp. It's still something that is uh, just almost trash. I want to say it feels like a trash noise, a sort of noise that doesn't lend itself to quality things or happy things or clean things or anything like that because it felt like exactly that like maybe it's a hole in the roof of the warehouse you're in or maybe you're out in the forest and this is where if i feel like i'm going to connect the two of you together it's almost like you're 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 by the highway but you're still in one of those like green belt areas there's there's those the 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 tarp left over from the kids when they were partying they just kind (laughs) of threw it on the ground and you hear the water dripping off the tree here's my imagery falling down on it with regularity well, and it, you still hear that little bit of vibration in the background of maybe cars going by on the highway, but severely removed because you still have nature intruding or vice versa, nature being intruded upon with these noises. Well, if that's the case, then they just gave that little patch of grass and, and trees in the highway strip between each in the median. Yeah. They gave it a soloist. They gave, they just thought that this 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 beautiful little patch of, uh, of grass in the median deserved an avant-garde cellist. Which is quite interesting, because that cellist is not exactly playing an ode to this environment. It's, it's terrifying. Downright terrifying. But broken in separate clips. That's where, you know, the, the naturalness of this kind of starts to step away. Because it's not something that could really be performed without the aid of an electronic musician at the helm. Or at the soundboard. In, in studio, the, those long, eerie bows that were probably... The, played in full, then they get cut. They get clipped by by the composer. And then you hear it again, suddenly, as if there were even not even really attack. There's a clip there, so it's like it started mid-clip, mid-bow, which is basically impossible. And then also the positioning will change around. Lots of change in panning here. It'll be louder and a little more to the left ear, sometimes even oscillating rapidly between left and right ear. That can be a little disconcerting, which is probably the most riveting part of this yet. Or even, what's really interesting, deteriorating with that bouncing bow technique also left and right back and forth, uh, or at least what comes across that way. This was some fascinating stuff. Yeah, I think the, the one of my favorite moments that the cello work provides is this almost cello gurgle, this fast, repeated bowing that almost sounds like the cello is choking or gurgling. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that because it's a sound I've not heard a cello make before. Mm. I've heard violins make it, but the pitch right. is much higher. Yeah, it's very different. Maybe in like the low end of the FM dial at mm-hmm. like three o'clock in the morning, I'll occasionally hear something like this and I could never find the name. No. Because <laughs> I always like to tune in but in the middle they never announce it. I think what's really interesting about this cello work is that it's it's absolutely marrying the natural and unnatural, which we've gotten both separately throughout the album so far. And here is a disturbing and unnerving marriage of both. And I really, I had to liken it to sort of a villain, something like that, but a villain on the borderline of madness, primarily because of the different parts and how often they're being used. The the cello likes to go deep and long and drawn significantly more than when it's hitting that higher register stuff because it's so heavily working in the low register and in the more mournful tone of what you would expect a cello to do, yet it's still doing a little bit of piercing of that high register clipped up like Steve said just kind of thrown into the mix especially when it gets paired with like I want to say steam whistle and just rings out and really lets off the gas for a moment it comes right back on in 
it, it feels like it's on that edge of madness between feeling melancholy and feeling deep and dark, but still showing those manic tendencies. Absolutely, but also going back to the villain comment, you know, it almost is if... It, not so much like I feel a, a human being here, but rather that I feel the environment has become personified. Wholly personified in the same way that the best haunted house movies will actually make you feel connected to the house in some way. Like right. the house has become a character mm -hmm. and that toward the end of the movie, you know, if the house crashed down to the ground or something like that or a whole portion of it was blown up, I don't know, whatever happens to the house, you feel for the house in a certain way. Like it, it, it still is full of terror, but yet you're connected to it. It's that kind of thing. But now at one minute and 50 seconds, the, the, the terror, I'm not gonna say that it's over, but you start to hear a, lit, a little bit less avant-garde, and rather the melody, a defined melody, starts to take shape in the cello. Long motifs, just building us toward something, it feels. Also, there are some really interesting harmonies here with what almost sounded like a separate string st section, or maybe it's actually just the cello on several tracks in a row, just like playing over itself at the super, super high end. Um, could be that. It's kind of hard for me to tell. At times it even sounded like flutes. But then as this melody starts to develop, it started to come across to me, and this is where I started relating this to something else. You know, up till now it's been pretty loose imagery, like we're just connecting it to scenes that we're kind of inventing in our head. And maybe that's good. But I did have a specific musical reference point to this, and it was a really, really uh, dear one to me. It started to come across very Impressionist. Uh, actually, both Impressionist and Expressionist at the same time. Or rather, like an Expressionist sample of an old album favorite of mine. And that's something I rarely, rarely get to bring up in this show. An album called Music for Egon Shi by Rachel's, recorded in 1996, I think. Uh, probably the best modern interpretation of, you know, Impressionism, actually furthering those hundred-year-old styles. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous album. It's a piano trio, I think. Piano, viola, and a cello. Just those three instruments. And this section here, where you're just focusing on the cello, which plays huge solos in that album, it felt like a sample of that. Almost as if Rachel's were just to zone out in a single moment on that album and not really flush that into the full piece that they did, which is really kind of interesting considering that I'd liken the whole album almost to zoning out. It's it's like staring at old photographs, the whole thing. But the, the only problem I do have with this, despite the fact that this is already my favorite track on the album, is that question of what's with the minimalism? You know, it always brings it back down again. We don't get that full melody. You don't get any, any of that. Instead, it's just that sample, which although I find that, that idea interesting, uh, it's, it's reflective of human consciousness. Absolutely, it points for that. But the result is always that it's just a little bit too much impulse. I always am waiting for the development and the completion of the story. In many ways, we almost got more of a story in Raptor, despite the fact that I'm all about the, the texture in Domestic One. So I wish there were a tad more composition here in the later portion, not just two or three interchangeable harmonies and a nice little motif. Um, as always, there's just a clever manipulation of time and expectation. That's what I'm experiencing primarily, not so much composition. But whatever, the time and expectation, it's still a prime performance talent, which, oh, did we forget? That's the title of the album. Yeah. I mean, I think John hit the nail on the head by saying that and I think Steve also agreed. I'm having trouble keeping track of who agrees with what. We're talking a lot. Yeah. We do that. Um, We're agreeing a lot. Um, but that this song has character, and there's a villainy to it, but there's, I don't see a specific villain. I don't see a guy with a 
curled mustache. I don't see well, a character. I see I see villainy in the same way you kind of would see villainy in like something like Ferngully or something like where there's this overwhelming spirit of evil that kind of embodies a darkness. That's why I brought up the haunted, uh, haunted house. Yeah. You know, that's just a spirit if the house is not out to get you, or is it? Right. And Ferngully, that, that's a perfect... I love that you said that. I was excited that you said that because that is a perfect for my... My idea earlier of it being kind of despoiled land. It's yeah. almost as if nature, something that's not really an, a personality, but more of an idea is getting... But it's being personified it's getting, a bit. Yeah. yeah, it's getting pissed off about something. So, yeah, no, Ferngullywood <laughs> is perfect for that kind of descriptor. So let's see what we get in the next piece. The longest piece of the album at 8 minutes and 44 seconds. Damp. Damp. Well, you'd think this is where I would bring up that humidity, right? It was not the first thing I really heard. Instead, this actually has a lot of sharpness, you know, in the very beginning. It's actually got two competing textures or two competing rhythms. One that is a little lower, a little warmer. Kind of a clanging sensation. I think the rhythm is something akin to and one and and three and and one and and three and something like that. But then there's the other thing. And the other thing is a, a scratching, a really sharp sound that comes and goes actually throughout the entire track. It's 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 actually kind of a, a signature feature of this. I don't know if it sounds damp per se, but it's there all the time and it's a little bit quicker and it seems almost to conflict with that other rhythm because it's every single beat but uses those 16th note divisions, just one before and one after, this sort of a one e, a two e, a three e, a four e, right, over and over and over. Short. But it's it's pretty interesting when you fuse them together. It can almost feel a little offset. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm just like slightly off with that rhythm, but I think the overall sensation of it is enough to make it feel offset, especially because of the difference in texture specifically. And I did get a sense of dampness from this track, but more in the vein of kind of a thunderstorm. There's a sound that comes in later in the intro that sounds like shaking sheet metal, like thinking think of a Foley artist in like an old radio show. And the, those crashes remind me of a thunderstorm. Which pairs well with the fact that I feel like the previous raindrop idea that I had earlier in, in the album, in the mm-hmm. previous track, Domestic One, it's a different sound, but it's doing the same sort of idea of being those drops. That's the Actually, the latter. And, the latter. And three, oh, and, the low and one, and right. Those I hear the water dropping again. Interesting. I almost felt that more as the second one, the, the quicker one, because it seems like... The, the rapidity of it would be more closer to what rain does. Like, but it would be something timed. And you like if you had a machine that really times out those water droplets really, really well, and you had them falling specifically against, like... Something, glass. Yeah, plastic, something that would resonate really, really sharply. A little bit on the distant edge as well. It's another one where I feel like there's a lot of space going on and that we're in a very hollow area, especially when the door gets knocked and we get those triple thumps. Yeah, this that is another, moment, ooh, I love that moment. Another palate cleanser of sorts. 40 seconds in, uh, it is almost kind of a knock at the door. It's just everything melts away, as you've done a couple times now, and you just get that bump, bump, bump. It's that knock, right? It's just almost ominous. And there's just space between each one. Knock, knock, knock. And then space. And then suddenly we dive right back in. A little more buzzing present this time around. Plus also another interesting sound bite. Another human element. A snore. But always on the inhale. Sort of like a... Yeah. Kind of a noise going on. The funny thing is I think the snort actually is yet to come and it's just a little more of a, like a almost inhibit, it's a heavy, deep inhale breath. Uh, so it's just another little teasing and foreshadowing. And actually another little teasing and foreshadowing element is this Star Warsian synth slide downward. Yeah, this is the, boom. Boom. Getting ready to, like to fire it all the, 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 the actual 
the spelling is B E W W W, but the W's become smaller. That's how I wrote it. it. Yeah. I, I wrote it as Bew. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, it sounds like you that moment before. Yeah, that moment before the Death Star fires, that kind of low tone you get. But it, it this goes on a little bit, a little bit too long, I guess. Uh, it's only about. Well, 40 seconds into, maybe, about two minutes in, that's to, the rate two we're minutes talking. In. Two minutes in is a big moment, though. Um, Before that, though, it, I felt really hollow with all the, like, aborted noises going on. Yeah. It's hollowness. Because these aren't big moments. Me. These aren't grand things. You know, yeah. there it's a lot of just, it, it's it's little bits and, bits and bites here and there, little sound bites. And then at one minute and 56 seconds, we get the precursor to the big beat drop. Uh, this is still the precursor, though. Always on the one here, we, we pound some, again, a piece of sheet metal, something like that. But it's always in the first beat of the measure, so there's a lot of space there still, but you feel that, that intensity on the one. It's always, and one, two, three, four, and crash, two, three, four. It's, it's still, it's, it's, you know, not showing all its cards yet, but it's pretty interesting, and I, I, I was hoping this was not going to be it. Thankfully, it's not. But throughout all of this, you're still hearing all that breathing, just the inhales. We're just building and building and building for another, like, uh, one and a half minutes here. It's, you add something, you take something away. It's, it's not always interesting and, and yet interesting at the same time. That's how I'd kind of characterize this. Yeah, and I mean, it's it, the, the precursor we got of that, like, inhale becomes a full-on, like, breathing through a respirator noise that perpetuates through the rest of the track. And it, that's where the word damp seems to show up so well because it's almost like someone's breathing in your ear. And this is some really solid use of volume work. I, I'm thoroughly... I want, like, my bass to hit subsonic levels, like, well below my range of hearing because of the stuff that's going on here. It feels like there's more that I'm just missing out on. Well, you're going to get near to it. You're going to get somewhat near to it as of 3 minutes and 36 seconds. 3 minutes and 36 seconds, I was woken up to this album in many ways. It was kind of like being switched on almost as I was on Two Changes by Beatrice Dillon and Robert Clairvaux in the latter portion, like the last quarter of that second movement. But you're you're actually missing a very important thing that happens three seconds prior. Ah, yeah. At yep. three minutes and thirty three seconds, yes. there is that that just amazing intake of breath that holds for those three seconds, and then we get the drop. Yep. To go from that inha- inhalation, to go from that, <gasps> it wasn't a gasp, it, but it was borderline like something startled someone, something happened at this moment that caused everything to. To require I think a there shift. was maybe also a scratch there, or there was something also reminiscent almost of the leathery sound I had heard a couple tracks ago. So all of this, the, the composers are really, really good at, at using those palate cleansers. And this is the, probably the crown jewel of palate cleansers here because it's the crown jewel of beat drops. This is, this is just where it was at on this album. And really, much like Two Changes, it would not have been the same, I think, had we not taken this long to get here or, or previewed here and there. It's more consistently on every single beat this time rather than on every single measure. Not just on beat one, it's on every beat. One, two, three, and four with this just wonderful bass undercurrent. And this, I think, was, it's not, you know, out of human range of hearing by any stretch, but it is a, it is a nice creamy register. It's almost like an unstoppable engine that just chomps away at everything in its path. And yet we're snoring still throughout all of this, which is interesting because I was wide awake for all of this. I was, I was absolutely loving this for like at least a minute. I was just digesting it. I, I, 
if this would actually get me up out of my lounge chair, because a lot of this album, you know, we've been relating to being in a club, but maybe not dancing. The kind of club where it's okay to just sit back and enjoy. Maybe it's speaking volume, but yet you're still really just immersed in the ambience. But this one would kind of get me up in a bit of a, a daze for at least a minute or two minutes. Well, because at this moment, when it gets to this point, it feels more tribal, more raw, even a little bit sexual with the breathing and these beats. It, it, Steve said it was reminiscent of a scene in the second Matrix movie where they're on Zion and they have this yeah. kind of orgy-esque party. It, it was kind of a silly scene when you look back on it, but it was interesting, I guess, But this is a similar idea. kind of music. Silly movie. And I think what <laughs> did it for me is that percussion that we've talked about started to sound wetter and wetter. And here, it almost sounds even fleshy. Just yeah. like the way it's impacting the the, the uh, speed of it and the tone of it, which adds to that tribal. Well, that's raw also because we associate a lot of these beats with like the grind, essentially. Yeah. It was it was also here that I actually felt like I was detecting malice. I was actually seeing someone as opposed to something. It was a big shift where we. I felt like. All, everything up until here was scene work, and it wasn't the most pleasant scene work at times. We were talking. I was talking about garbage earlier. I was talking about losing my ice cream and things like that. Like it wasn't necessarily just happy things, but it was scene work that I wasn't really involved with or taking any specific personal cues from. Here, to talk about getting fleshy, like my imagery went to that that kind of rictus villainous smile where you have a really sharp look on teeth and gums and that's where the flesh really gets to me well i heard the malice i definitely heard the malice but in sort of a different way because of this lounge atmosphere that i'd concocted my head it's like the vip booth of of just evil people just just, they're they're not up to any good but they're sitting around living it up just being completely hedonistic you know and that that's Mm -hmm. that's what they have to do because they're evil they just have to be hedonists and that's what i get from this but it's it's still it's it's alluring in its way and yes. I think that's why I, I didn't mind the malice in the same way as like other forms of malice that we may have witnessed would actually unnerve me. This is, you know, I'm 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 empathizing with the villain here, which is actually a hallmark of a very like long living and enjoyable villain. Someone like mm-hmm. the Joker, like it's a perfect example of anybody personified a, a malice. formidable one, a formidable villain. Yeah, but here's the thing: we get like five minutes of this. It and does stay a while. We don't really refocus on any other ideas during this. It changes slightly in texture, but because the I'm tone still getting pretty much stays the same. Like the feel yeah, of it just, doesn't really shift. It's just different aspects of fleshiness, of hedonism, as as the words you two have used, or as those gums between the teeth. As I was picturing it, it was just okay. We, I've 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 heard this. I've experienced it. I've processed it at this point. And yes, it isn't something that is exactly good in the world, but. <laughs> I'm no longer afraid. I'm no longer feeling that malice. It's more just toyish at this point. Well, yeah, because the thing is, I'm, I've been trying unsuccessfully on multiple listens of this album to completely zone out to this section in its entirety. You go back to the Express Bus, was loving it there for about a minute to two minutes. Um, same listen at home, a minute to two minutes. Listen here in, in a group before we, we start the podcast, a minute to two minutes. I'm tapping along, I'm loving it. I, it the, the, the initial beat drop is not losing its, its, its appeal on me in any way, despite even that, you know, by several listens in, I already know that it's going to drag. 
but it all happens the same exact way. Like, but the predictability is not really affecting the initial jolt, nor is it affecting the experience of it as a whole. Both are just really, really consistent. I think it was a great idea, and I just think it was a little bit too indulged. They were too indulgent with it. They just kept on going. I, I'm not exactly sure why, once again, that this was the choice of all things to persist with. It's because, you know, like we discussed a couple tracks ago, he had dealt mostly in series of of preview, of tease. And in this case, we hit the climax fairly early when you think of the overall track length. And as much as it felt overexposed, as the track goes on and progresses, I feel like it's getting more and more muffled at the same time. So we're getting a long view of this piece, of, of this malice, as I'm going to keep calling it, but it's losing a lot of definition. It's almost as if it's fading out in front of us, but it's taking five minutes to fade, so well, I'm not I'm not really getting I'm not getting anything at the end of the track. It's I got a wow and that wow becomes significantly underwhelming as we go along. Well there's only one environment that, you know, wasn't tested. I did all the private listens at various locations and the group listen, but of course I, you know, we're talking about this 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 lounge as if it were uh, or this club as if it were completely hypothetical. But what if it were just a club? What if this were played there? Would you zone out? Maybe you would. Maybe you would forget it, or maybe you would be waiting for that, that next beat change-up, because it's not, as if, it's not as if people go to clubs, especially maybe the kind, the caliber of club that I'm talking about. Uh, these are people who listen to IDM and various other things. They're not idiots. And I, they're they're going to notice when something gets a little bit tired, I would think. It all depends on the crowd. Sure. I mean, I also in a moment of honesty, have not really been to a club like that since we started doing this podcast. The last time I did yeah. that was probably yeah, in sure. college. Yeah. Yeah, and so I don't know if I would engage in it in the same way because I am very engaging in music very differently now. However, I do agree with both of you that it does kind of overstay its welcome. I don't think to the point where I dislike the track. I just think the point where I'm like, Okay, what's next? I'm ready for the next thing. It's going to be pretty sad when we're like all 70 years old and we're talking about the, you know, it's kind of like this club. And I realize that that they shut their doors in, in uh, 72, <laughs> or the equivalent 72. We weren't alive we're, in 72. Well, the equivalent to that many years ago. When anyway, I remember in that back in 2024 when I was on this really hopping joint. And we're going to move along right now to Monday, the most boring day of the week. <laughs> It's a good transition, actually. Uh, uh, track five is called Monday, the most evil day of the week, and the song reflects that. Um, all right, so the song starts here with we're we're back to kind of engaging in noise and sounds before any kind of melody. I would actually say more like not engaging. That's, well, right. that's kind of what we're going with so, right so now. So the track starts with something that sounds like either shuffling along a floor or kind of scraping a shovel against concrete. Or just it definitely muffled. has a it has a muffled scraping kind of feel. It to sounds it. like metal being dragged. Yeah, uh, which is not it's believe it as specific as that is. I've, I've used that description before. Yeah, I, I have. I have used metal being dragged in a few of the other albums I mentioned above, and maybe even a couple of others. It just seems to come back, and it's an interesting sound effect and I guess at the end of the day I kind of compress all of this into general evil sounding stuff once again <laughs> you know we're, we're still there and it's a little slow going but well, we trudges a bit we, but we do get a couple unique things for instance uh, we get that haunting stalking bass lick if you can mm -hmm. even call it a lick it's really neat and it's all, always paired with a thud just a, a deep thud some popping drum that again lacks reverb of any kind I really love this this all-encompassing enclosed sensation it's good to know when to turn the reverb off 
off. Uh, you could also liken it to sort of a, a popping, a very sharp popping, like if you were to put your finger on the tip of a live stereo cable. Sometimes that popping can be very, very pronounced, very, very sharp. Uh, or maybe the second you yank the wire right out of whatever it's plugged into, that's also a pretty good description for this. Um, that's basically kind of how I described the first minute and 45 seconds. There's yeah. not a lot else going on, not a lot of direction quite yet, until eventually we lift the static, and we lift, or the veneer of static. We kind of start lifting that, and then we add another just random element, snapping. Or what I believe is snapping. Or knuckle popping, or something like that. It definitely feels bone on bone, though. It juxtaposes the main pulse of the piece, and at first it almost appears random, but I think it's like third beat of the measure, and then the first... And then not the third beat of that measure, but then the first and third of the next measure. Something like that. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. I didn't sit it wasn't that interesting of a sound bite for me the, to really. This track this kind of uh, refuses to be uniform. It it definitely I'm sure if you timed it out and sat with it, um, which we did, but not to that extent, you could probably find some kind of pattern, but it does seem almost random and the snaps to me. Start to not necessarily grate on me. That's a strong word, but it definitely pulled me out of it. But I don't know if that was unintentional. I mean, these snaps are sharp and sudden, and then gone, and then they come back. Oh, I think they were benign. That's right? Not, they're not. They're, they don't affect me in any way, shape, or form. It's just another rhythmic tool. Eh, I see. I disagree. I think that they took me out of whatever this was trying to create. But again, I think that might be intentional. There's some kind of skulking Ooh. and strangeness here, and you're meant to be kind of. Uh, distracted, I think. It's it's Monday. This, I think, is probably the most appropriately titled track. If you're going to go with the trope of what a Monday, Monday is, it's, it's a long, boring day you don't want to deal with. Evil is not too far off, considering it starts off the work weekend. It's that time where you're you're done with your weekend, you're done with your plans of joy and happiness, or maybe lots of work and everything like that. But it's also when you got to get back to that 9 to 5, and you have to... Do the things that make you unhappy. So, Monday sounds evil, but the raptor sounds beautiful? Sure. Where you, where, like, <laughs> I don't know, where are you going? Where's, where are they going? I'm not exactly raptor, sure. I don't think, I don't know if raptor actually works so well as a title. I don't know. I'm not going to make that judgment. I mean, but I, here, Monday is perfectly described. Damp, d- damp didn't always uh, sound uh, damp. No more or less than a couple of other tracks at various, no more than less than raptor. You know, <laughs> if you could shuffle these about. I have to contradict John because also not everybody hates Mondays. Not everybody hates their nine to five. And so... But the personification of you have to leave your weekend, whatever that weekend may be, because my weekend technically is Monday, Tuesday, best weekend of the week. Uh, But it's the time you have to go back to a job you don't love that bores the hell out of you where you're sitting in a cubicle. And I know I'm kind of describing your job right now. You're not actually. Because because you love it. Yet at the same time, and I know you've had those terrible jobs, though, where you're standing at a cubicle and you're looking at gray on gray on gray on gray. Like, everything is in monotone. It's, it's, there's no color everywhere. But that's what Monday represents in white color. And I think this actually does a great job of describing what White Collar Monday is. I simply cannot go that far in this track. I, I don't yeah. know. It's just not, there's not there's enough not material here. I'm still, here. I'm still bored out of my mind by the end of it. Because screw all happens throughout the entire track. We get finger snapping and that's it. Like, that's what we get. Finger snapping. Woo. I think it works for the art and for the title, but I don't think it works as a See, I, I can't even go that far. I just think that as far... As tracks go, this is the least engaging piece on the record for me. I just 
that's the point. That's the point I'm trying to yeah, make. Yeah, but the I point get I'm that, trying but... to make is that it is supposed to be boring. But I again, I don't interact with Monday the same way you do, and I don't really. I think you're giving too much credit to this name. I think you're leaning into it too much. They're composers. What does Monday have to do with them? Well, <laughs> Unless they have a, that either. Another I mean, nine to five. You don't know. Plenty of composers and actors and others live a Monday to Friday schedule, even if it's not necessarily nine to five. This is true. Anyway, Maybe just the idea of what they understand of Monday. I don't I, know. I want to take us to track six, Domestic Part 2. Because here, at least for the first ten seconds, we get a natural instrument in its natural element creating its natural sound. We get a piano that sounds like a piano, acts like a piano, and is a piano. Like a duck. Thank you, Thank you for Like a duck. Like a duck. <laughs> like a duck. But that doesn't last very long because these composers wouldn't be who they are if they didn't with it a little bit. Well, I, I enjoy what they did here, yes. but I would differ that it was completely screwed with. You know, in the same way that Domestic 1 took the cello and the the first appearance of it was pretty unsettling. You know, yeah. I almost from the get-go that cello was off. It's something right. was off about it. It actually got more normal as the track continued. Sure. This particular track, you hear the piano, and I love the tone of this piano. Of course, it sounds very much like an, a standard upright kind of practice you know, mm-hmm. nothing that really feels like it's really ready for the big stage. Um, and it really brought me right back to Rachel's, again, because piano was another another third of that album. And there was a lot of things that were just piano, and a lot the other stuff was just supporting it. And the, the, what it was playing, too, again, goes takes me back to Impressionism, takes me back to all of that. So the Domestic 1, Domestic 2 are really, really tied with me, I guess, uh, emotionally because of that connection that I make to it. Um, the things that go on in the background. And the, the things that you start to bring up, the where they, they start to f*** with it a little bit, They, I like some of it, I don't like all of it. For instance, I kind of see what they're going for. Mm-hmm. There's a sensation of this being a practice reel, a demo, or a stream of consciousness. In fact, that's, that's really a lot closer to it. A, a, a sensation of uh, the composer, the, the piano player getting there, hammering something out in pure stream of consciousness, or, or so it seems, because maybe this is all, all their idea. It was completely composed front to back, we don't know. But the sensation is that it was all freestyle, and that there is a problem with the recording device, which mm-hmm. is maybe just recording for the sake of them getting little ideas later, you know, pulling from it here and there and using what they will. Just a, a session. I, I can relate to this because I do this a lot. Sometimes it's just you play and it makes no sense at all. Not the best improviser, but out of that can come really good compositional ideas. So you just press record and see what happens. And yes, sometimes the wire will be faulty. The wire that connects the, to the recorder, it, it, it'll, it'll crackle. If, if it's uh, an old cable, then it'll start to crackle just because the copper is not connected in the proper spot. Maybe you didn't have it plugged in all the way. Any number of things can happen, and you listen back, and it's just like, well, who cares? You know, because all you were trying to do was get the idea. This is never meant to be released. And I got all of that within this. Like, that was the overall idea behind this track. I actually want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier. We're going to go back like four or five sentences. Sure. And say that it's a stream of consciousness. Yep. And it's a stream of consciousness that gains intensity as we go along, especially when the breathing gets, mm-hmm. like, intense in the mic. It, it's very close to the mic, which makes it also seem very personal, very raw. Like, he's starting to hunch over and get into the piece, and he's trying to form with the piano, and the fingers are going into it and becoming a part of it, and a lot of stuff like that. But one issue I have with this piece, as much as I enjoy it, and I love the scattering and the circling around the solidity, but the evasion that's still with that circling of the solidity, it's bright. 
it's all, it's all high register stuff. It's all very welcoming themes. Like they get aborted fairly quickly, but it feels very welcoming. And this is just not any of the malicious intent I've gotten. It's not none of the villainy. Like what happens well, in this I, album I that actually... we go? What happens in this album that we go so bright so quickly? I don't see the transition from Monday or Damp or Domestic One to this piece. I don't mind that so much. I don't mind that because let's face it. I if I want if I hear something that sounds evil, I would rather that be the end all be all of the album. I would rather be you know writhing in my seat a little bit. I don't want to have to say what I said at the beginning of the last track that we're back to hearing evil sounding stuff. You yeah. know, and just kind of with a with a flick of the wrist. And it's nothing to me anymore. You have to contrast at some point. And this is the uh, this is the track that does that on this album. At long last, I think he's shuffling up the texture. I don't know exactly what it means for the overall theme yet. At some point, I really think we should try or attempt to revisit uh, that, that little intro with liner notes. But it... It, it works musically, even if that's the only the only goal you have here is just to approach this musically and not think about any of that crap. And also, malintent and uh, evilness, as it were, doesn't always have to take the form of something uh, intentional or intended. I mean, the idea of be of pursuing this recording, you're saying, Steve, what if they're pursuing this recording knowing they have faulty equipment? But something a little more unfortunate or mm-hmm. mal- m- a malicious even could be them making this recording and never knowing they had a faulty wire and then getting back to it and hearing all well, of the faulty connection issues, which well, no, brings you, a well, disappointment and distress and annoyance. Usually, I'd, yeah, I, it's not so much that normally no one would press record if they knew they had a faulty wire unless that was a very, very concerted thing that they were trying to do. Um, but I think there's a sense of... Um, especially with the way the static comes in and the sense of a poor connection kind of ebbs and flows. Sometimes it stays longer than it does, and sometimes the piano even breaks up and cuts out. I think that's uh, intended to give this kind of disconcerting gap within the composition here. And I think that still perpetuates at least on the tiniest level, stuff we've gotten throughout the record. So I more simply meant that, you know, you record something and it's more of a, a general catch-all come what may. Yeah. Yeah, you were speaking to me, not Steve. I was, yeah, you were well, my part. I was confused too for a moment there. I was speaking to both of you. <laughs> um, I'm just saying I relate to it because that happens, right? Yes. I, yeah. I, I'm, and I guess I understand it, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to deny, of course, that it, it ruins the, uh, what I would like to glean, I guess, from the piano a little bit, because mm-hmm. it interrupts very indiscriminately. Right, um, but I mean, that's kind of what his his shtick at this point. Their that's shtick. the shtick. And in this case, it's a little bit harsher than others, uh, because, you know, the rest of... You always get the idea, I think, from tracks one through five, that every single choice was purposeful. Every right. single choice. This one, not saying it wasn't, it absolutely was purposeful, but at least the illusion is here. You know, mm-hmm. the illusion is maybe successful... And the fact that it is successful is not as is not as musical. I, I got a butt for you, yeah, and yeah. that is that in domestic one they were doing the same exact thing with no, they the cello. Weren't. No, they weren't. The same exact thing. wasn't though. breaking it up. I, I feel that that was very purposeful. That every single when we first heard the you cello, you feel like it was more planned. But I think they're doing the same idea. It's just yeah. not coming off. Well, first as of all, well. let me just reevaluate what I'm saying. All of it is purposeful. All of it, I believe, is purposeful at the end of the day. We just, we know that. I don't think that a composer would would compose an entire track and then just be oblivious to all this and say, eh, good enough. No, we know that that was the idea behind this. But 
what I mean by purposeful is I think there was a little bit more discrimination between okay. when to take that cello and gut it and say, nope, I'm splicing a clip right here. I'm splicing the clip in the beginning of the of the bow stroke or or, or in the middle or in the end or, or doing that weird oscillation thing. And it was very moment by moment, sometimes second by second. And I think all of that took a little bit more... A little bit more something, certain something than this particular track did, where it was just like, ah, put some static here, put some static there. Of course, the idea was purposeful, but it doesn't do anything specific in terms of the the timing between each set of static. This is exactly what I prompted you, because that is a great way of summating this. Even though I think I actually enjoyed Domestic 2 more than Domestic 1 at its core, only because I found it more inviting. Just because it was, it was honestly, as much as I don't actually feel like it works very well with the flow of the album as a whole, with the theme of the album as a whole, for a bright track, it was a great breather after so much just like cottony crushingness that was happening earlier. Also, I would use the word flow very loosely with this record anyway. Yeah, we're, they're, they vaguely understand what flow means. Right, like... Now there's flow in a single track, I, I but, do believe. But not on an album scale, which is mm. what John's talking about. I think from track to track, a lot of these could be placed in different places and it wouldn't have as much of an impact. I agree, I agree. So, but I think something we can all agree on, track seven... Our uh, daily intake of protein, as it were, <laughs> as that is the name of the track. Steve's supposed to do the bad puns. Well, no, see, Steve does. I'm not that bad. No. no. <laughs> I, oh, no, I like that. No, that's, yeah, that's a good fair. response. Steve does response. decent puns sometimes. Anyway, track seven, protein. <laughs> so uh, from the start, I have a, a gripe with this track, and, and it'll come to light more as we try and describe it, but there's a sense of similarity here to Raptor in, I think, tonality. I don't think... The exact noises and sounds being produced no. are the same, but I feel a, a similar vibe to what I got from Raptor. Same feel to Raptor in, yeah, all right, tonality, overall sensation. Yeah. But experience, I relate it to Monday. I relate it to Monday because Monday was the one that I was nonplussed by. Oh, okay, And this that's is fair. the one that I am nonplussed by. This is the, I mean, I really can't say that Monday is my least favorite because I think it's kind of an entire for protein in terms of tracks. <laughs> they're, they're both in terms of tracks that I just don't know exactly what their purpose serves. It's, I, the, the first thing that I had written down, and this was in the very first listen and I could not break from it, I couldn't, I couldn't shake myself free from it, was typical album fare. You know, it, this but is just What does just that them. mean? Typical fare for this album? Yeah. Okay, yeah. got it. I mean, we're at track seven by now. Yeah, Out of eight yeah, yeah. tracks, I think it. I no, get fair. the fare of the eye. I know what he's going for, but I just did not see what made this track unique. You know, at least six out of eight of these tracks have something extra specially unique about them. Mm-hmm. That's that's a, a, a plus for this album. A track should not be lost in the pack. This one really gets lost. Well, I mean, at this point, they've almost taken the idea of reverb and made it its own individualized sound by itself, and this is being used very heavily. You have um, the whistle steam let off showing up again. You have the hi-hat. Like, these are things that we were pointing out because of how unique they were for the piece. Now they are an amalgamation of all the different pieces kind of being thrown in together. At a minute 10, we get that predictable redirection with a mild beat change. No major sound change in the setting, no major actual shift other than just kind of remixing what level the layers are at, but otherwise it's the same stuff, slight different beat change. Then 234, 
we get another shift, but this is the rapid one because it's going to be the last one of the piece. It's the one where you have a quick rebuild into something that's more like part A as opposed to part B. These are things I actually felt like were predictable, especially when you look at the time of 4 minutes, 15 seconds. You figure it's going to be either thirds or quarters because that's the tendency that they're going with here. And if it's going to be quarters, you're going to go one minute in, then two minutes in, and then three minutes in. If it's thirds, you're going to go one minute in and then about two and a half minutes in because the first third's always the smallest of the bunch. These are things I'm, I'm seeing what they're doing and I'm recognizing the theme of their compositional work now. I, I fear... You know, that maybe we might be a little too dismissive of this track in terms of, like, breaking down those individual sections. Uh, but also, I feel that uh, one reason may be it's, it's landing in within Electronica. Because, yeah, I know that there's interesting things going on here, but there is... Interestingly enough, for a genre, you know, that is as broad as Electronica and that is theoretically capable of creating any sound possible, you know, things that even include other acoustic instruments because the the theory behind it is all that everything can be reproduced electronically at some point uh, to the point where you can't even recognize it. In which case, I find this to be a little constrained, uh, very, very constrained. And I think that is the critique, uh, the big critique of the day that probably is a result of the genre that it's in because I just know what it's capable of. I have to wonder why this particular track is not taking it a step further. It's just interesting. The the big compliment I have for it is the interesting set of freestyling rhythm here and there. And I, I use the word freestyling, again, only as a placeholder because I know it's all very well composed. There's a nice little rhythm here that goes... I really do like that, but that on that can't support everything else. That is a single idea, and there's a little scattering around of this but it all feels like it's, you know, ideas that don't quite reach their mark as blowing my mind to the same extent as some things earlier in the album and other things that are supporting this one thing that doesn't quite reach the same mark as other things in the album. It's it's a weird middle ground. Well, yeah, and something else that we haven't mentioned yet that was unique to this piece but not unique f- for the formula of the album was we had more sound bites like we've had earlier in the record, but there's one here that was reminiscent of the pod racing scenes in the prequels, this kind of screeching kind of sound that flies by. We did have... But that sound effect, that sound bite, is used in a similar way that we've got other kind of inserts throughout the record. And that actually is, yeah, that's a throwback. It's a throwback, yeah. I think, the very first track is where I had heard it. That's the thing that I had kind of thought was the express bus engine for a while. Yeah, right. It was a little bit lower here. Here it's used much more prominently, so I like the fact that the, you know, I kind of kicked up the volume on that. Um, and also it's got it's got that Mack truck flapping to it again. And I really like that sound. Actually, I think that's something I'll say for, you know, the pod racer scene and other sound effects in the Star Wars prequels. For whatever you have to say about the prequels, the well, we all know the music was fantastic because John Williams and also the sound effects of were course. pretty fantastic. I, ILM does incredible work, and even yeah. though there's a lot of computer animated stuff in that, those scenes were still full of awesome sounds that brought everything to life. Which means Which that is... painfully, this is a very similar critique. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would agree, actually. It means that you have to remove an element, like in the case of the Star Wars prequels, you have to remove the visual element to really enjoy the best of it. Here, yeah. I don't know what to quite say needs to be removed. Well, because that's the thing about this track. It I don't doesn't know feel wh- like anything needs to be removed. I think the whole track as a whole leaves me wanting. So there's not a particular thing I can point to and go, fix that thing. I don't think that's really here. I think Well, no, be- there is kind of one thing, and that is something that we've <coughs> seen other instrumental or rather you know, non-verbal, non-lyrical electronic albums do in the past miraculously, and that's 
provide some kind of narrative. Mm. And that's the problem with the, that's the big thing that's the thrown hurled at the prequels is that the narrative just sucked. It really sucked. It was, it was straining. It was telling a story that we already could have mapped in our heads, you know, and, and acting it out kind of poorly. All those problems. And it's not that you just don't even have that here. You don't There's have no context. That. It, somehow other electronic albums have managed to do this, or at least because of whatever we're able to build in our head. And maybe that, that does place the onus on us, you know, that we're just not able to map this out. And as I guess even specifically, my inability to relate this to some of the concepts proposed back in the liner notes. Some of these lines, let me read again. This album is ultimately a joint effort to process past as well as present experiences within father-son relations. Father-son relations and scenes are drawn from memory and merged into a shared fictional collage. Also later on it says it's like being stalked by a relic. These are hyper-specific things. And dare I say that this album was just a bit too broad, or rather that this is too hyper-specific of a concept for an album of this kind, or dare I say even for a, for an Electronica album anyway. You know, you can relate certain concepts, and we've gotten really, really close to sensations, and maybe it is all just whatever you bring to the table, but I... I I'm not sure, unless that's just simply the idea here, you know, it crossed with a feeling, not a map, nor a memory, it's just going to relate to them, and it's just what they, the two composers, have brought to the table on the topic of father-son relations. That can only be in their head, and it will be expressed as only they see it. Uh, but the connecting, for us to make that connection with them, I don't think that's being achieved. Um, I mean, maybe, I think that one of the lines you just reread. I can relate to the final track, Hadron, because this song does have a sense of stalking or being stalked by a relic, especially since we've mentioned uh, at length about the 80s in past episodes, and there is a sense of 80s feel here. And at this point, we're in almost, we're creeping much ever closer to 2020. The 80s are a relic almost at this point. And I think this feeling of being stalked by some kind of large, lumbering object is is relatable here because of the kind of pacing that these the early moments of this track have it really does have a sense of that i mean yes the father-son relation stuff and i'll talk to more about this when we get to my wrap-up but i'm there's no clear picture of that but also this ominous evil you could attribute to that too if it was poor father-son relations so yeah you know but but that said i think that there is some kind of story here in the eighth track um, but I, only in terms of, well, you know, Hadron, like the Hadron Collider, right. for instance, I think of that, but is this so close? It, it, it's similar overall to the album with the exception, of, of course, that there's a much more regular pulse here. Mm-hmm. Uh, a regular pulse that actually took me back quite a few years to like 80s sci-fi or something that, that dun, 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 that, that. It is fairly rapid here, but I remember that same exact sound being used sparingly, of course, in in The Thing, back in John Carpenter's The Thing, 1982. You know, it was just that dun-dun, (laughs) dun-dun. He just does that long pause in between. It's a very interesting soundtrack by uh, Ennio Morricone, but... Uh, with this being so rapid, I'm still in the right area, not as creepy as that soundtrack, but other things are are pretty similar, except for the fact that, you know, the sharpness of the metal comes back. Uh, it's uh, definitely more pronounced here, so texture-wise, actually, this really, I don't want to sugarcoat it, this did t- tons more than Protein did. Yes, I agree. I actually want to bring up something, and that is the title itself, because you were talking about the Large, ha- large Hadron 
collider yeah. and the subatomic particles associated with it and the fact that it's propelling us into siding. Well, we're right, which but I didn't complete on that. I was just hearing the, the regularity in it. At least now I have a machine for reference. I don't know if it actually is that word because it's spelled differently. H-A-E-D-R-O-N, which may be a misspelling because there's no word, hadron, the way it's spelled on this. So I actually took it as decahedron. Like a dodecahedron, like something that is a geometric terminology. Uh, uh, a hedron is something that has either a specific number of sides or a specific number of faces. And we're not giving a number here, so we don't know if it's ten faces or if they're all shaped like triangles or something like that. But it's something that has a regularity as a ge- geometric shape. And when you start talking about that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, it's the first time that we really get a beat that is significantly regular in the entire album. So for that to make—that's why I made that kind of leap as far as to what this title means and what this track might mean. It is— it is regular. It is, in some ways, a summation because of its borrowing of a lot of the previous sound bites and the previous ideas that we've had on the album. And some of the things like at 225, we have that underground everything kind of motif where everything gets muffled except for one major idea. Or at about the two-minute mark, with about 10 seconds prior to 10 seconds after, we go through a, a kind of a shift that we tend to go through in vibration where everything kind of gets really heady before we get... An underground section. It's doing a lot of the things that I complained about in Protein, where it's following a formula that I'm already recognizing for the majority of these pieces, except for the domestics, which are kind of freeform. But here, this feels like it's the most point of view, the most narrative of all the pieces on the album. It feels like this is actually from behind the eyeballs of an individual. We're not looking at something and watching a scene. We're actually the point of view of the scene. And that's where I'm feeling the shift. It's that regularity and that sort of heartbeat idea in the beat work. That minor shift that really did a lot to change the perspective I'm getting on this piece. And that's why I don't complain about it the way I complain about protein. Because I feel like here it actually was a major shift, even though we're not getting anything different. Well, right, so I'm not getting a sense of evil here. I'm getting a sense of dread. It's a different point of view. Right, because I'm in the shoes of whatever the character is here. It's more of a sense of dread of being unnerved, you know, being stalked as prey because you feel like you're in the shoes of whatever is uh, being chased. Dreadron. Dreadron? Dreadron. Oh, instead of he- he- Hedron. Hedron, yeah. Dreadron. Well, first of all, just to interject uh, for you, John, even though you're already finished, so it's not an interjection anymore. Yes, I that, that spelling uh, discrepancy was a little error. I, I, I knew that Hadron was spelled one way, and then I was getting, you know, search results that were still... I thought maybe it was like a, a, a translation thing, you know? And I thought maybe be. that was the case. It, it, it might be, be but yeah. I, I looked it up. Because I then, could not find anything. In that anything. case, everything you brought up for Hedron, which is the H-E-D, we don't, like that, we don't know if that's correct at all, because that's not what is written here. Yeah, I think it might so, be just be a combination. Everything of you the just two. said, both of uh, both of our proposals are conjecture. Uh, um, at least when I looked up, uh, a lot of our proposals the on the album are 
conjecture. Uh, oh, well, yeah, conjecture. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's just true for a lot of things. Granted, but then let me go to the end of what you had to say, because of course, when it comes to perspective, I and I absolutely do think, I'm, I'm not going to be as harsh on this particular track. Maybe I sounded harsher in the beginning, it's because I was still kind of running off the end of Protein, but no, overall, this is a much, much better, uh, I don't want to call it a great finale, but this is more on par for what I have come to expect, especially considering the earlier parts of the album. It's not like they completely just spaced out on this. Like, I really like the moment that two minutes and ten seconds where everything just gets thinned out. Of course, that's something that's been pretty true throughout the album, you know, whenever they yeah. use the palate cleansers, it's amazing. And, it, and really, so many other tracks could have used that, because, and I know that it would have been amazing, because it's always been amazing. It's like giving the tracks a natural point of reflection, which I think is important. I've struggled to digest certain electronica because it's just random sounds or strange structures with no point of reflection, but this album did give me moments to go, huh, Oh, and that's interesting, and then kind of think back exactly. on what it's led up to, which I think is really important. And its introduction following that, you know, the entrance into the, the, the this creaking sensation. Mm-hmm. I really liken it to a creaking of a ship, you know, mm-hmm. that you're that you're an iron ship, you know, it's not the, the wooden ship creaking sensation, but it's a, a slow heave of a very large ocean-going vessel that, you know, is maybe in its latter days, it's, it's getting close to retirement, so the creaking is pronounced. With every single heave of the high seas, you just hear that groan of the iron, and that is that is really visceral, yeah. I, and I, I I feel like that's a word which usually does make much many more appearances on our uh, electronica albums, which I just simply haven't even thought of up until now. Well, I so. would I would liken this ship feel that you're describing to like if you took the Black Pearl from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, that haunted ship, but. Yeah coated it in steel. There you go. I think that's kind of what I'm picturing here. This very this, evil the, bone-shaped I ship. Be, I have a better analogy for the sound, and that is just, it's it's a submarine. It's the creaks and cranks from yeah, like, I can see Red October. Red October, like, like it, it has, has be... that kind of kind of permeation that you would get with a submarine. It's above, it's below, it's all around you. You're home. The place you live in, not what you're on top of, but the hole that's keeping you alive is making random noises that shouldn't be happening because that might mean it's breaking or there's other things to worry about. Maybe water's getting in or something like that's a fearful noise. It's, it's fearful. It, honestly, you you know your 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 body can make random noises. You feel random pains and things like that. It, the body is as much of a complex system as a giant ocean liner or anything of the sort. So yeah, I imagine it would unnerve you no matter what it is, making noises and eh, things in the distance. So I, I'm honestly that's how I describe most of this album. It's just things in the distance. What was that? What was that? What was that? It's a bunch of things going on. <laughs> I I don't know if it's like this. I don't know if I would go nearly as far as the word dread that you use, honestly. I, I just, just, it's an intriguing album. And I guess this is about where well, I... Well, dread was more about that track than the whole album. And so that, like, I was I was just saying that there was this sense of being stalked in this track, which caused a sense of dread because it was from that kind of perspective. But as far as relating the human body to a ship, I mean, that's the thing about haunted vessels of any kind, is this yeah. idea that it relates you to... A human tone, a, a house or a ship creaking, moans and groans like a person, and that's what makes it unnerving because you know they're not people, but it reminds you of it. Yeah, he's got full Edgar Allan Poe on us right now. Sure, I'll take <laughs> well, it. <laughs> yeah, all right. Now do that on the track titles with reference to the theme that was given to us. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> that, that was easy. Um. All right. This. 
No, I like it. I will repeat, it is an intriguing album. I wish it was more than that. I wish it was more than intriguing. What, what, what are my expectations in that case? I do think my expectations at this point are relatively centered around other electronic albums that I've listened to. You know, there is there is a similarity in approach because mainly what these composers deal with is they they deal in terms of uh, of feeling, raw feeling, raw mm-hmm. gut sensation, which is why we always have to, you know, run amok on imagery in every single track. And I think I'm pretty satisfied with what we had come up with, but I do believe it's a relative game. In other words, if I feel fear in one instance, then it's not going to be it's not going to be really much of anything if I had felt, you know, dread, like I said, in another instance. Mm-hmm. Dread is beyond fear. And sometimes that's between different moments on a certain track. Sometimes it's between different tracks. Sometimes it's between different albums of the artist. And other times it's just between different artists, period, right? In which case I have to kind of approach this relative to other things. And I think that had I not listened to those other things, those other albums, then maybe this, yeah, would probably be a little bit higher. It would have been more impactful to me because I think and this is probably the sad thing about all of us is that as we age you know we get more exposure more exposure I will never forget watching an interview of John Cleese you know in his later years he's still in his later years he's not gone yet thank God but John Cleese probably an interview of a few of a few years ago so he was already an old man but he had said something to the effect of you know it is true that the older you get you simply laugh less and to hear that come from John Cleese, Cleese yeah, was heartbreaking. Yeah, of course, yeah. you know, and 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 it's but it was it's just a matter of truth. And he said, "There's a flat out. There's a reason why, and it's simply because you've heard it all before. Mm-hmm. You've heard it. You know, you've heard the jokes. And almost the time you get to a certain age, you hear different variants of really what is at the end of the day the same joke." You know, yeah. there is some crossover, it's just accidental crossover, and a lot of it won't be accidental anymore because now that we have just had the shared media, you know, people are actively borrowing from everyone and extrapolating from, from all the things, and it's all going to come around again. If things are all going to come around again, well, all right, some of that can't be avoided. Uh, and this is, I'm not, I'm not arguing that this isn't a unique work. I think it has a lot of unique elements on it, but that is not the entirety of the work. It doesn't define the work. If I had to surmise this entire album, then yes, I would probably say it is in a pile of certain things that I've heard before. So what I would go to this album for is those specific things. And those things are really compressed into... Obviously, the domestics, domestic one, domestic two. Uh, there's, they're really nothing like the rest of the album. I would actually think they were separate <coughs> artists, almost, you know, because they're such a different style here. Uh, but that, whatever, it was the idea to throw them on on this album and also pair them with, you know, things like Damp, which I think uh, did a, quite a few successful things. You know, I'm not gonna. I, I think the first three minutes and thirty six seconds was fantastic. I, I think that it got a little bit old after a certain point. It was a longer track than it needed to be. But everything up and even a little beyond that beat drop was absolutely phenomenal. I felt very, very. It felt reminiscent and maybe even was on par or maybe even did exceed the two changes a little bit and the big beat drop that we got there very far into that album. Uh, it's just that the context of this, when you consider the entirety of the album, is nowhere near what that moment was on two changes. Uh, we were all pretty dumbstruck in that instance. But whatever, I could treat this as an isolated track. And then, of course, moments on Raptor. The overall sensation of that, it gave me a feeling of something new. So it's just spread out. Not threadbare. 
thank God it's not threadbare on this album. This is not going to get panned by me. Absolutely not. It's just because I've heard it before, that is not a valid critique. It's still, if it's of the same performative quality, same performative caliber, then I don't think that's going to... I don't think it's really going to impact my rating as much, but it does have to affect my my uh, emotional takeaway, and I, that is going to be a component of my rating, I won't argue. Um, but back to the notion of threadbare, you know, there are definitely, there's been albums where we've looked at where it's just, the, we say it's too little too late, too uh, few and far between, all these expressions that have come up. That's not really the case here. Actually, it's pretty even, you know, I might have to wait for certain sections, but then, ah, there's another thing. Wait for certain sections, ah, then there's another thing. But the overall sensation does not really, like, pack the punch as some other pieces of music have done. If I just set aside the comparison to other electronica, just pieces of music, period. It doesn't pack the same punch uh, per per moment or per, per gander, per listen, or per environmental experience. You know, me being on the bus compared to being at home, compared to being with you guys, it all really has just kind of been the same. Those moments are don't stop being awesome, and the other parts don't stop feeling short on their connection to the album as a whole, other than just simply providing the overall backdrop. But I would like to feel each individual moment with far more intensity, and that's the, uh, that's really the, the ultimate... Um, takeaway here that's my ultimate emotional experience i just want i want more intensity on this album if if they're going manic uh, then i want more of that if they're going malicious then i absolutely want more of that i i think this can be said in a general sense yes it has our it's been our most evil album or it is mm-hmm. among them but it doesn't have the story and that's the problem you know you, you don't feel the same f- caliber of fear except i don't i just have an abstract sensation of fear perhaps if you reread and really digest those liner notes which should always be taken with a grain of salt on every album um, because they're part of the promotional experience then I do think that connection can be drawn but it is almost only by chance so this to me uh, does not breach you know the fours it, it's, it can't quite be there for me it's in the threes but it's in sort of the high threes because of the the, the performative quality of it because of the compositional elements that are clearly present and because of the things that they do and that I can see they are consistent at as musicians, if not consistently employing them. That's a 375 for me. All right. Um, I mean, to be frank about this uh, record, it would have to change its name. No. Um, for for uh, Thank you, John, for laughing. That doesn't really help, though. Um, no, to be completely honest up front about this record, it's not the worst Electronica album. This is being more nebulously taste-related, but it's not the worst uh, Electronica album we've ever reviewed. It's not the best either. I think this does exist somewhere in the middle for me. Um, I mean, as far as being interesting, I think the whole album was more or less interesting throughout, even in moments like on Protein and Monday where I was like, nah, this isn't really for me, or it's repeating things. I was still curious. Um... You know, I don't really go to this kind of electronica for, uh, what's the word, enjoyment? Um, But that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with it. I think that they're definitely doing some interesting stuff. Um, But I have to agree with Steve's uh, kind of assessment that there's no, there are shades of emotion and there's uh, loose themes here. And the overall theme of it being finger quotes evil, because, I mean, what does that really mean at the end of the day when we don't have a narrative? But this kind of hesitation and uh, fear and um, you know sense of ominousness like all of that stuff is here for sure but I just don't have much else to extrapolate from it I mean there's clearly some kind of electronica talent here 
you know, of course, depending on who the person is you're talking to, some people may not see a talent in this. I, not that doesn't necessarily mean they're right, but it just it depends on your perspective. I think the onus for enjoying this record is on the listener, not on the artist in this case. And what I mean by that is, based on the great promotional description on the liner notes, they're telling you where they're coming from. So they've kind of laid it bare already. There's nothing for else for them to impart on you. There's no lyrics. There's no narrative. So the getting sucked in, getting steeped in what's here is absolutely on the person listening. Um, and that could be a lot to ask of someone. I know for me, there were definitely moments here where I was absolutely buried in the moment to moment. And I was totally sucked in. And then there were moments like on uh, Monday where I was just like, what am I listening to? I just don't care why is there snapping like it took me out of the moment and that's a problem for a record like this um if you want me to engage in your electronica i mean essentially at the end of the day you need to make mutant that's what you need to do that album even though i didn't love it and i've barely gone back to it was very engrossing and and very much sucked me in i want to hold that up as a great example i don't think that's the only way to achieve greatness correct um, I would agree. I think, but for me to find something in your electronic music, for me personally as a listener, I need something like that. In many ways, there's this a lot that is similar here, yes. except for the fact that we were able to find the narrative there. Perhaps that was the accident, and this is the exception. I want to leave that open. Right, absolutely. But that said, I definitely think there are things here that I've heard before elsewhere. Um, you know, the unique moments that stood out, the you know, are on both domestics. You know, they both have, you know, for the most part, classically used instruments used in a very interesting way. I never thought I'd say the words cello gurgle on this podcast, but I did for the first domestic. And I think that's the one thing that keeps domestic one above domestic two for me. I just love the cello work more than the piano work. I know they're very different and it's apples and oranges, but it's just my preference at that point. You know, I've heard other streams of consciousness before, but I do think domestic two actually stands at the pinnacle of that so far like right it's been very difficult for me to relate that to this this podcast so far and see streams of consciousness as coming across um as having like an intertwined uh narrative feel as if like that that made sense for the album it does make sense here i think it really does um but all of that said i think that age coin is doing something interesting i think that you know while i didn't get everything that was mentioned in the liner notes I can definitely get a sense of the emotion that would convey those things. Even though, having not Steve read it, would I have gleaned it? Now that he did read it, I can glean it as a result. And so I think that's important to keep in mind. But beyond that, I think length and, and, and moment to moment, it ends up being overall a very average experience with very pinnacle moments in certain tracks so that's why i'm giving it a a 3.3 you know it's not a 3.25 it's a little bit better than that it's not a 3.4 or 3.5 i think i mean depending on where you're at for me i consider around 3.5 to be average um but you know also depending on the day or what week it is or where we are in our brains three could be considered average the point is when it's raining (laughs) right the the point here is that it's definitely not in the fours i just think that they're using they're really skillful with the tools they're using but they're not breaking boundaries 
on an album scale. Definitely in moments. Like, I can't think of another time I've heard a cello like that before. But that's one instance on one piece. And that's just not enough for me at the end of the day. If you if, if they did something like that on every track, that would be great. But they didn't. And so I... Yeah, because then we'd be bored of it. And then you right, have all the problems. Yeah, I know. It's just, I don't, I don't, I think I'm in a place where an album like this just doesn't give me enough of something to chew on. I think, I definitely had that in moments, but at the end of the day, I was left still wanting. I, well, I really enjoyed this album. Mostly because it's hard for me to find... Uh, electronica, I don't just like enjoy on a primal level, especially if there's no vocals. I love my electronica without the vocals. So <laughs> weird for me, but it's great when I get to invent the story. And for me, the story I invented here was something akin to like a thriller or a horror movie or video game like that. But I was missing so many of the punches that you would expect in those sort of stories. And I think that is my big issue, and that's why I'm where I'm at on my review. You get the build-up to the opening of the door, but you don't get that open door where the slasher's on the other side and he's swinging the axe in. You don't get the, the Hannibal Lecter moment that sends chills down your spine. You get all of the build-up and then all of the aftermath without those crux moments. It's like having a video game that's a horror game and you're in an asylum, but there's no bad guy. There's no evil chasing you. It's all in your mind. It's literally all in your mind because there is nothing that's going to jump out and scare you. And for here, the scary setups, the, the, the intense... Of, of kind of like an evil nature, or even when it didn't feel quite evil or malicious or sad or anything like that, the positive emotions here still felt negative, and that what was so great about it. They felt real, they felt multidimensional. But there was no grandness and no real, like, heaviest of depths for contrast. It was a lot of just like, here's a great representation of what you feel like after you've seen that alien pop out of the ceiling and melt someone's face off. We have to think, in moments like that or like your Five Nights at Freddy's, that jump scare moment, it's a release. It gives you the chance to engage in that experience again. When you have a release in a scary moment, then you're, you kind of laugh or freak out and then it resets and you can start that build-up again. But that's the problem. Yeah. Without those releases, the build-ups fall flat. Right. When you're reintroducing themes over and over again and trying to build me back up to that moment of like great sadness, great malice, or great happiness without a release or without a crux or without a even a plateau, it just... It, it decreases on that second and third and fourth iteration in an eight-minute song. But otherwise, it's really cool. It's really good. It actually captures emotions very well. Emotions we don't normally go after, don't normally find. And for that, I would actually say, yeah, like the Paper Chase, like, like those weird albums we've come across that really do tackle it, it did it exceedingly well. So for that, it's definitely going to be on the higher side of the threes, but... No, it ain't in fours. I'm, I'm actually right there with Steve. 3.75. Three and three quarters. My only argument would be that things like The Paper Chase or Mutant by Arca engaged in those things in a more intimate, personal, and 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 fine-tuned way. Whereas here, it it breaches those things but doesn't really go for it, go for the gusto, as it were. And I think that's my biggest problem is 
there are other albums that have made me uncomfortable that I've recognized are having a huge impact because of how far they go and how much they don't hold back. I feel like there's some holding back here a little bit. It may have been too idea-based yeah. and not as much composition-based. Composition obviously happens in a variety of forms, but in this context, I may <coughs> no longer form. And something worth saying, and I think because we're not always great at kind of elaborating on certain things, there's nothing wrong with getting something in the at a three or higher. I mean, pretty much if you're... A three or higher, You're, it's worthwhile music. Yeah. I enjoy it. Yeah, like it I was mean, worthwhile to me on that bus. You know, I bring right. that up almost in jest because it seems like, well, that's not what we advocate. We advocate the the focused listen that is, you know, completely 100 percent blocked off from the world and all other sources. But I really matched that. It matched yeah. it wonderfully when I was, even though it blended at times and it was hard to hear at times. Hmm. Still, it I it blended very very well with uh, the environment of the city. I felt the chaos. I felt a little bit of fear that I felt was brought out of me concerning the environment that I hadn't yet considered. These are all things that are perhaps completely tangential to their particular idea, but they are they are successes in, in music, and you can't dictate what people will take away from music at the end of the day. So I guess let's move on to our topic here. I uh, It's going to be a little bit of a, of a repeat of something we kind of touched on during the album, or at least it's something I was grappling with. It's something I, I had a hard time wondering whether or not it was the correct course of action for this review. Um, we tried to stick close to the analysis, and yet that review element started creeping in. The thing we always brush aside uh, and say we're sort of waits until the end, it kind of kept creeping in there, and that review inevitably involves comparison. Uh, it's just, it's just, you can't avoid it, because, I mean, if we, all you knew in your entire life was one piece of music, then you'd say, that's brilliant, it's amazing, how could someone do that? Until you hear other pieces of music. When you hear other pieces of music, then you, you're like, ah, you have preferences, and you can't help but do that. Sometimes it's not just a matter of preference. Sometimes it's a matter of opening our eyes gradually to the next thing, to the next thing. And it's building blocks that may or may, when you rearrange your life, which of course we can't do because we don't have a time machine and you can't undo what has already been done, what has already been heard, then, you know, it's, it's quite fascinating how we could have perceived life differently, perhaps even entered different genres, have, have had different tastes than we ended up having if we had just heard that one other thing, you know, before the other thing. But we can't do that. It's all it's just going to be a a stacked building block process that only goes one way forward in time, upwards for the rest of our lives. And so it was difficult for me to see exactly how this album would fit in my present in present me with my present knowledge of electronica music and it felt like an almost unfair dig at these artists since i see the talent absolutely and i think that in another time in my life in another environment i think i would have enjoyed this maybe even in a superior fashion and sent me in different routes i actually have an anecdote about a uh, anime it's gonna be it's gonna seem weird uh, an anime that i i really thoroughly love and have been holding off on finishing because i don't want it to end Log Horizon. Um, for those of you out there that know Sword Art Online, this is a much better version of Sword Art Online where people get trapped in a video game. But one of the things that happens as, as the story progresses is one of the main characters is a bard. Bards sing. That's what they do. But this person in the video game creates a song and performs that song. And the NPCs, which are revealed to be actual intelligence in their own right, don't know how to take this song because they only know 42 songs. That's what's in the game. That's all the music they know. So when they hear something new, 
they have no idea how to take it. It's sort of the opposite effect of what you were describing, Steve, where you already have preconceived ideas because of A, B, C, D. Well, when in in this and in, in it was very masterfully done. I would actually recommend this specific episode as a as a, a solo piece. Uh, when they were presented with something that was wholly new, eventually it became greeted as ginormous, as magnificent, as magical, and something that was wholly important. Even if it wasn't great in the grand scheme of things, it was kind of plain or, or something like that. Because it was something that was just unexperienced by an individual, it became more than it could possibly be in any other setting. Well, imagine the naivete and bliss that we could all gain from, I guess, having the advantage of, of erasing our memories every single time we encounter a new piece of art. Well, see, that also would be a problem. Because as much as I love my favorites, something like The Beatles... With all the work that has come from the Beatles, if I listened to the Beatles without ever hearing their stuff before, but heard stuff inspired by it, I probably would not like it nearly as much because I would already be familiar with the sort of things they were doing in the White Album or separately Abbey Road or separately Sgt. Pepper or the first album or whatever. Or anything in or that anything. 40 years of yeah. music. Like, it, it, the context of having pre-existing knowledge and a pre-existing base allows something that, yeah, might have been wow if it was more of a vacuum, but it also allows things to to, to actually stand up in, in different ways when you don't have something set up for it. This is it. why we only do yeah. newer albums, uh, not necessarily hinged on the on the rule that newer is always better, but that we avoid the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, but some stuff. Two albums that we did within uh, coming out within a re- reasonable frame of time. I still, to play devil's advocate to what Steve's saying, encountered a similar problem, but rose above it, but had to backtrack. So it's sort of agreeing with you and disagreeing with you at the same time. So what, the year we did both um, Saint Vincent and Owen Pallet episodes eighty six and one nineteen. I gave St. Vincent a five. I thought this was the pinnacle of pop music. There's no way someone could do pop music any better. And then I heard Owen Paulette and went, oh, I was wrong. I'm going to have to lower that at the end of the year because this is a five. And it was one of those things where I didn't, it wouldn't have painted my review of Owen Paulette had we never done St. Vincent because Owen Paulette, to me, was still the superior piece. And I think... This thing about Two Changes and then this album, I feel like if this was the superior piece to Two Changes, it would be irrelevant that we did Two Changes first. Well, that's I why think either you're saying that Two Changes isn't as superior as maybe we said it was, or that this piece is better than you're saying it is. I think, see, I think this is a more enjoyable album to me front to back. You know, yes. two, in change, two Changes Ooh, is... Yeah. A challenge to mm-hmm. listen to. You have to be in a very specific cerebral type of mood sure. in order to, because and and that that reveal, you know, that that reward at the end is at the end. You know, yeah. you have to wait so long to get there. And part of me is tempted to just go back there and you know just go to the timestamp a little bit almost. And but I know that wouldn't be the same experience. Well, but maybe the funny the, thing. I was just gonna say, but maybe then what you're saying is necessarily that because remember when we talk about enjoyment, 
enjoyment is not necessarily related to rating. We can oh, yeah. enjoy something that's yeah. terrible. And we've often talked about enjoying things that we thought were ridiculous. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say, actually, because, you know, I think some of our most most enjoyable episodes are simple simply when we try to talk about the uniqueness of a particular mm-hmm. work. We're not necessarily, like, saying, oh, but it's not good enough. But it's not good. It's not as good as that. It's not as good right. as that. And any, any episode where I think we fall into that pattern is always a little bit, eh, that was a little bit of a drag. And I, I don't know why I couldn't break myself free from it a little bit this episode. I tried to avoid it. I still think I covered a lot of the uniqueness that was here, and yet I still felt like there was some kind of peak that it was not reaching in the in the large scale that it did in moments, but that it wasn't reaching as a whole album that kind of brought me back to that. Either that, or I had I have developed a, a slightly more shallow view of electronica as a result of that specific set of albums that we have looked at on this show. Remember, not everything gets on Crash Chords. Yeah. Not everything, you know, it's... We see, listen I, to plenty of music we never bring on here. Yeah, and yet you, you do get a very fulfilled sensation, you know, after you go through an album like we do. Mm-hmm. So it makes me think there are other albums that either could just be members of this pack or others that I may never get to have the same conversations about, you never know. And yet this, I feel like, could have almost sat out in that pile because mm-hmm. of... I'm not sure if I always would have wondered, int- intrinsically would have wondered how the, the two-hour conversation would have went. Um, that's, a, that's a weird position for me to be in. But it's actually really good to have conversations about these albums that are not fives and not twos, because we'll never give a one. True. Uh, hopefully, we'll no, never no, give no, another I, one. I was saying true with the previous thing. There could be a one in the midst. But it's it's good to be able to discuss things that do have unique elements. That much is true. It's it's good to be able to point and say, that was an idea that I don't know of and never heard of before. And then when we hear it again, because art is essentially your own flair of copying somebody else. That's, mm-hmm. that's art. That's where it all came from, from Cape Baden's onwards. Uh we can go, okay, that is exactly like that other thing, except. And that's, I think, at this point, after episode one of, of doing Crash Chords, everything was eventually going to become that is exactly like this previous thing, except here they changed it. Which or is here why they changed it. Which it's is inevitable. exactly why we're having this conversation, because wouldn't you not think that after this many episodes, that downplays it just a little bit? Like, doesn't that downplay the the uh, the lack of, of uniqueness, really? No, because uniqueness is not the be-all, end-all of being of producing something that is good and quality and enjoyable. Yeah, and, we- and all three of those things at once, the five-star. Like, you don't have to be 100% unique. In fact, my five-stars, for the most part, aren't actually unique in, 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 in their entirety. The unique stuff in the entirety that we've reviewed... It tends to get high, but it doesn't actually hit those, oh my god, I can't believe levels. I would say... It hit those four, seven, five. I would say that in ways that maybe are unexpected, and ways that'll certainly vary from person to person, the higher we go, the probably is. I think there is a direct correlation with uniqueness. Even if it's not like the overall sound, like the overall texture, you can have a band that sits in a genre where it kind of all rushes over you in the same fashion, and yet their composition is just undeniable, you know? And, and then all of a sudden, that becomes the unique thing. It becomes the, the specific way they approached that verse-chorus structure or the specific way they approached their vocals that you've just never heard. And I think it, it is definitely correlated. But comes down to that has sent chills down my spine like never before. That is uniqueness. But uniqueness, like individual aspects of music being unique, that's what's important. It's not 
the whole product being unique, being something that in everything, from the vocals, from the lyrical compositional work, from the musical compositional work, is never done before. Familiarity actually breeds happiness in people and enjoyment yeah, in people. I mean, and I know, I know aspect. that's true. It's hard for me to admit, but, but of course, that's true. That you know, the avant-garde stuff—you can have an an album that sounds like absolutely nothing else in the world, and yet it can be downright awful. <laughs> so, but that's it's true. It's one of the main reasons why I I usually tout my fives as the direction I want music to go in, is because I want music to stay it, what it is. And I wanted to travel to somewhere else. I don't want it to just be that other place. I don't want it to exist as something, all right, this is this is music, what it's going to be like in 85 years. It's a genre that the syllables haven't even been invented yet. Well, okay, cool. That's awesome. In 85 years, I'll get something that's completely different, legitimately completely different. But today, I want something that I can recognize enough and enjoy enough because it's familiar and has some safety, but at the same time is presenting only unique elements. Elements that make me go, wow, that is something that is different. But only that, only those little things. You need familiarity. And by having context of previous albums that do set the bar so high, allows us to have conversations with stuff that wouldn't necessarily hit that bar level because of the context. All right. And I, that's what's I great withdraw, about them. I withdraw my, uh, my statement about there being a direct correlation there. I think that a high rating, or at least your high vision of, uh, your, your version of something being just the best of the best in your own world is uniqueness times tastes divided by pi. Why pi? Yeah, because just pi has to be a and, and are we talking about rhubarb? Pie? It's a rhubarb. Rhubarb. Yeah, rhubarb. No, apple. No, God, no. Apple what? is so boring. That's not true at all. Then you're not eating good apple pie. Oh, yeah, no, but... I eat homemade amazing apple pie. But apple pie is like, yeah, sure, that's that's a four or five, but there are five-star pies out yeah, there. Yeah, but rhubarb tastes much more like applesauce than cranberries do. Well, cranberry pie is good. Yeah, cranberry but pie is cranberry, cranberry pie is not good. Yeah, it is. Um, no, cranberry sauce is good. No, cranberry pie is really good. Uh, you, you have a proper enough of sugar to actually counteract the tartness of cranberries. Right, and well, on the other hand, water is water. Is art is art. All right, I'm 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 sticking a fork in this conversation. It's done at this point <laughs> with all the pie references. Now I just want to go eat some pie. So before we uh, wrap up for the day, Steve, do you have a musical term of the day, week, month, year for us? I most certainly do. This is French, en français, of course, and uh, like only the French do, there are two accent marks in it. Of course. Détaché. Détaché. That's that case that you usually... No, that's an attaché. Uh, no, that's somebody... Also from the French. That is, uh, that walks around and helps you out. No, that's a... That's also an attaché, actually. Yeah, is no, it, I didn't go that's down. A, that's, that's a valet. <laughs> that's a valet. Valet. valet is what they say what, in, what, what, in Britain. What, what, what. Valets do only this one thing. This is um, obviously a kind of elongated section in a song. Obviously. No, that's right? A, that's a repartee. That's the back and forthness. <laughs> Are you going to take Do you a have guess? any theories? Like I have no idea. Ones? That's why I'm throwing out these. Détaché from Detached. Or rather, detached from détaché, because most English words come from the French rather than the other way around. You know, they ruled England for a long time. Yeah, I'm aware. After, after yeah. If by, French you, if, if, by French you actually mean the Germanic tribes, then yes, correct. 
<laughs> um, actually, in the case of détaché, obviously, it's a it's French word. In other words, it's not like detached. Yes, that word went in English, and then we have that. But détaché is the word that we use for uh, in music because, well, honestly, England was called the land without music for a very long time. You know, mm-hmm. during like between the the fifteenth to eighteenth centuries, when music notation terminology was really coming of age almost none of them are english almost yeah. none of them because there just weren't there were too many composers there there's henry purcell there's a few others handel eventually started being considered an english composer even though he was german born um wrote lyrics very awkwardly in english anyway i'm on i'm on like three different things here just explaining that don't expect any english words from the these sections i'll try to find a goodie but détaché specifically means in violin playing detached and staccato. So of course, detached. Whenever we say staccato, I usually mean the note is short, short, very, yeah. very, you know, isolated. In other words, no long bows, just bouncing the bow off, kind of like what we heard back in Domestic One. That little uh, that the tremor, the, the terrifying gurgle. gurgle. Yeah. yeah, obviously the, that had the a little, rolls in the in yeah. the scariness. It had an electronic component for sure, but but that you could you can do something very similar to that and just bounce the bow along detached detaché fascinating it is isn't it I think so obviously that's why we have you bring it every week Um, why don't we stick with Steve and you tell us actually what we're doing next week we are doing math rock Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, interestingly, John is the only one that actually has brought on Math Rock. Marty Stern, Specifically right? Math Episode Rock. Episode 62, yeah. Chronicles of Marty by Marty Stern. Um, I don't know what inside me said go to Math Rock. I don't know exactly what it was, but I do know that I was getting pretty tired of my prog. I was going through the same prog listing that I go through very often, in fact, and I was just, I don't know, things were starting to blend together, you know, maybe... This the same problem that we just had in this discussion. Maybe I've heard a lot of, yeah, I know Prague tries to always reinvent itself, but they fall into patterns. They always fall into patterns, and there was just nothing in the recent batch that was leaping out. And so I just thought, I don't know, let me try a math rock listing. I just went through tags and Bandcamp, and I cycled through album after album after album after album, and I stumbled upon Actually Extremely by Snooze. By Snooze? Snooze. 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 Actually, it's fun to say. It is, isn't it? Yeah, Snooze. Um, all right. Well, ready? I'm already I'm already upset at the grammar of that title. Actually, extremely. Yeah, there's a comma there because yeah. you know you, you that can be a response. Like if someone says to you, actually, uh, extremely. Yeah, but what? Yeah. What? Actually, do you, extremely. What? Do you feel excited today? Actually, extremely. Actually, Thank you. no. Then you're a negative person. I'm sorry. Negative Nancy, even. I a would little say. bit, yeah. And actually, no, probably. And more than if a lot you're Nancy also, and you don't like that we refer to, to negative Nancys, then you can write at kind of John a, Sanders at Crash. No, no, it's kind of a bait I and switch. Say you know. He said it. A little bait and switch there. But, no, actually, actually, the now that you mention it, no. Okay. <laughs> well. <laughs> It, it, I thank you for putting that in. I, I had realized about five minutes ago that we had not done that yet. No, I know it was needed. It's not a running gag if we don't keep running with it. Yeah, it's time to pull the plug. <laughs> yeah, before we just evolve into insanity. Uh, thank you all for listening. As always, follow us on the Facebooks, Twitters, Tumblr, and everywhere else you can find us on the internet. Give us a rating and review. And remember, as always, music is life, and, and life, life is, is good. good. 
If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.